on today's show. We are getting to know Dallas. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And Dallas, if you don't know, and um, I was super glad when I messaged you. Looks like the most kick-ass coffee roaster that I think I'll ever know in my life. So Dallas, thank you for coming on, letting people get to know you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, there, there's some pretty kick-ass coffee roasters out there. So that's a that's kind of a, a loft, some pretty lofty heights for a guy like me. <laughs> is, yeah. is that a legit thing or like coffee roasters nutty as far as into this whole physical fitness and combat? No, not, not, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say combat, you know, it's, it's a little bit more passive environment. That's almost what Uh, I thought. But yeah, no, but I, my, my uncle actually uh, is a coffee roaster and he, he started a coffee roasting business, I think in, I think he started it in 1996. And he's like a pretty kick-ass dude. Um, He's got like a world record for pulling or I think it was the official record was the fastest trek across solo trek across the Antarctic. Um, and he did it in like, yeah, like 49, he's going to totally kill me like 49 days or something like that. 
And like his skis broke like halfway through it. So he did it on foot. He was like pulling this like 200 pound sled on his back the whole way. And it, it, yeah, it was pretty dramatic. And he's like a really intense dude. Like when he was growing up, he was a long distance runner. So I always like heard these stories about my uncle, you know, running like a hundred miles at a time on a whim, you know, uh, my sister or my, you know, his sister, my mom having to like pick him up, pick him up from like neighboring cities because he had like just took off. And so, so yeah, there's some nutty, there's some nutty roasters out there. You kind of have to have a screw loose to be a coffee roaster Do you? or it just, or it just makes all the caffeine makes you fucking nut. Oh, is that, is that what it is? Cause you're just constantly Maybe. tasting stuff. It's like a, the, I guess almost the oh, opposite yeah. of a micro brewer. So instead of being overweight from drinking all the hoppy beers, you guys are just hopped up and your metabolism's going 138 miles an hour. Oh yeah. Sometimes like when, when I leave work, it feels like I'm on some rollerblades, man. Cause we'll do like, we'll do coffee cupping. So like, you know, we'll set out a bunch of different coffees, single origin coffees from like all around the world. And we'll go around and, you know, cup each one of them. And that's like a lot of caffeine, uh, for a single cupping and like, like it's water sweating and grinding coffee all day long, but you get it on your skin, it, you know, it absorbs through your skin. Oh. So like, sometimes we'll just be like grinding tons of coffee and all of a sudden I'm like, damn, like, why do I feel glued to the ceiling? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, I'm rocking on some caffeine right now. Dude, I didn't even think so, about that. That's legit, huh? It actually does absorb yeah. into the skin. Yeah, yeah. So you really get going, man. <laughs> oh, so was it a family business? Like, how do you get in? I didn't even realize I would start like with the coffee grinding thing. Um, but like, how did you become, or why are you passionate about coffee <laughs> and grinding well, beans, roasting beans? It's kind of funny. Uh, so I did an internship with my uncle. I think it was like 2015 or 16. Yeah, it was either 2015 or 16. Um, where I lived in Philadelphia for like almost a year and I got credit through my college um, to do the internship. And uh, he basically took me around the, the company and kind of gave me like little jobs here and there to do to learn about the industry and kind of see everything from every angle. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it just was like a family trade that I picked up. And when I graduated from college, um, I was a counselor for at-risk youth for a period of time. And I did that job for two years. But, you know, as you imagine, it was like pretty intense job, you know. It, you know, yeah, it, it was a really intense job. So uh, when I decided that maybe I should step down from counseling, I kind of like fell back onto roasting. I was like, well, it's the only other trade that I really know how to do. Um, and when I got back into it, I was like, I don't even know why I left, man. This is so much fun. Really? You know, I can't, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. How is it fun? It seems so boring and monotonous to me. I guess I, and it's cause I'm completely ignorant that it's hard for me to understand the creative aspects that go into it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the job isn't necessarily like creative. It's a lot of like production work. So, you know, you're like, dragging, you know, 130 pound bags around the warehouse and like cutting them open and throwing them in scales and dropping roasts and then bagging everything individually, you know? So yeah, it is monotonous work, like 80% of it. Um, but it also like really frees up my mind to be able to kind of like 
think about things that I actually do enjoy and I can listen to podcasts and I'm like a really tensely physical person. Like I couldn't sit at a desk all day long. I would lose my mind, dude. I would want to jump out of a window. So I get to kind of use my body and kind of use my mind on things that I actually think are important or that I like to think about. So I just listen to podcasts all day and, um, and the, and the culture is cool. You know, the people that I work with are really down to earth. Um, so yeah. Actually that, um, cause I mean, I really enjoy like cutting the grass and like the trimming and all that shit, but I think it's the same thing where I'll throw in some earbuds and I just zone out and I listen to these podcasts or I listen to information, but then I enjoy seeing where my mind goes. Cause it's not like Mm -hmm. super intellectually intense, right? Yeah. 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 You know, but it's stimulating enough. I, I don't know. There's like not, not like a flow state thing. I don't know what it's called, but it's like right below that where you know what you're doing, but you don't have to be super in tuned with the moment with it. Yeah. Some artists have like described, I don't know if it's the same as like artists when they're really good and they can just sketch and they just kind of let the pen go. People will tell me like their mind goes elsewhere and the pen in their hand will do something that they don't even realize because they're free. Yeah. I've experimented a lot with that actually like the idea of like flow state. Cause I'm like in a meditation um, and obviously like doing martial arts and stuff like that's kind of like, you know, those like esoteric, you know, philosophy discussions that kind of happen and float around and like some of the books that I've read, some of the more popular books that I've read. Um, and yeah, you can do that with like free, free form like journaling or it's like, it's, I think it's defined as not noticing when time passes I'm not noticing time passing and um yeah so like or if you're like hitting a heavy bag and it's like you didn't even realize like the bell had already rung and you didn't even really realize it you were just kind of like in the zone uh but yeah the the podcast definitely helped you know and it it reminds me like I think I I think it was Einstein he was a patent clerk and his job was just stamping papers and he was like (laughs) I don't want anything more intellectually stimulating than this because I'm thinking about more important things to me. So I think production work for creative people could actually be a positive thing. Yeah. Cause and I, I like what you said there about getting stuck behind the desk. It's part of what I like with teaching in my current role. Like I got a little more into the administrative aspect. It's almost like mm-hmm. a fucking data entry job where I'm like compiling spreadsheets. And it's like, I've just reduced kids and their personalities and their stories into like four data points. And I'm looking and I'm throwing 200 of them together and I'm just like typing, next screen, typing, next screen, typing, next screen. And I can't wait for time to pass. Like, I feel like I'm being tortured. But in a classroom, I'm I like not prowling around, but I'm prowling around. Like my energy is just there in the movement. I need the movement to like feel satisfied, to feel like myself. And that's interesting that you're finding that and you found that out early about yourself, dude. Because I can't imagine some people get trapped in that job and then feel that responsibility to stay. Like if you just stayed a counselor, it'd have been terrible for you to be the world's most miserable counselor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And then at the time I was like pretty miserable counselor just as it was like, I just probably, I probably had no business being in being a counselor at the time. Do you remember but, yeah. what made you get into the field? Like why you started down the road? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of had like life happen pretty quick. As soon as I got out of, uh, 
so I went to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, which is like a whole nother story. But uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. But uh, uh, yeah, I had I had a kid as soon as I came, and I was like, okay, I need to make real money. Like I need to like be able to have something that I can kind of sustain myself. So with a kid on the way and everything, I was like, all right, I think I could do counseling. I could get um, certified like a few just state certifications on and, you know, I could just be like well on my way to making a decent living and stuff. Um, and, and it was it was good. It was a good organization. It was nonprofit and they did they did good work for people that needed it. So it was cool. How old were you at the time? I think I was 26. OK. Yeah, 26. Yeah, I, I I'm feel- 30 now. Okay. Yeah. 26 is like right about that. That's a lot of pressure to feel at 26. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot which of is, pressure. Which is so funny because, you know, like I talked to my parents and like my parents and their, their friends and stuff like that. And it's like far more common to be like, oh yeah, I was like 20 and had like a job, like fabricating metal, you know, like I had like I already had like a car payment and a house and like a right. wife, you know, like yeah. here I am at like 26, like, Oh shit, I need a job quick. Yeah. Dude, I think that's where society is though. And I, I really do. I don't know, man. That's, that's true. Cause back in the day, it's so, well, it's reminds me of like Victorian times where women would have like three children by the time they were 21, <laughs> you know, and like you're right. getting ready to die at 40. So it seems like life has almost <laughs> yeah. gotten to this point where you, want to explore and i wonder if it's because those people had those fabrication jobs or whatever trades at that age early on and then it almost seemed like they um got to miss out on experiences like the 20s really are some people are like college you discover yourself i think you graduate college you get a little bit of money you get some freedom and options and awareness like i think that's where in a first world country you want to figure out what am i into what do i want to spend my time doing how do i want to help and impact the world and when you get a kid, you're at this conflict because it's awesome. And you should, as you did, feel like I got to provide, right? You want to be responsible. Mm-hmm. You don't want your kid growing up in a poor situation. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, what about me? I still, <laughs> I'm still growing up myself. And it's a, it's a conflict, man. Yeah, I definitely, but like at the same time, like I kind of knew it was coming down the line. So I did my best to like, not not in a negative way but like abandon myself in a way being like okay your early 20s are over you just got out of college and now you're having a kid this isn't like you know the end of the fucking world i was actually really happy but it was like it was like okay but whatever you're doing and it's that you feel is so important it's really not now Hmm. like you have this other thing and you have to like accept that for what it is and the sooner that you accept it for what it is, then maybe you could get some light produced on the other side. And I had no idea it was coming to me. You know what I mean? Like the amount of love that you get to feel when you have a child is yeah. just like unbelievable. I mean, it makes that kid, it's such a crazy experience. It's like psychedelic. You know, you look at your kid and all they do is just like brush their hair or something. And it's yeah. just like, I think my head just exploded. You know, <laughs> so you're just like, oh my God, this is crazy. So yeah. every so, drawing, yeah. every drawing, you're like, you're awesome. You're just, you're just envisioning <laughs> nothing but potential in every single thing that they do. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Like, 
and like you know like kids like especially when they're like three four and stuff they like tell you a story it's like a tarantino film <laughs> you know like they start at the beginning and they go to the end and then they go to the middle and like they have like oh and gosh. you're just like trying to like piece together this like story no that they're telling you and you're like oh my god this is awesome this is so funny yeah and because they say such great you. characters too like because kids get to impersonate in the best way when something's going on it could be a dog at the park and like that's going to be the best dog of their life because <laughs> right. they just they buy in man that's that's like the only dog they know. So they notice so many details about it because their worldviews literally getting shaped. So they're so attentive and they'll notice all right. these intricacies that are, you forget as an adult because you're worried about what do I got to do next and my responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like it, everything just becomes normalized, I suppose. It's like, hey, if you could like wake up and like see a dog for the first time, you'd be like, holy shit. Like, what is that? Yeah, right. Is like, it friendly? Like, what is going on? Yeah, like, you're battling that's your natural how, like, instinct. And kids then, are perpetually looking at the world. Yeah, and just absorbing, right? It, it's something that, yeah, that, that childish experience, that naivety, if that's the word, is, um, oh, damn, you do wish you could kind of hold on to it. <laughs> yeah, there's certain, yeah. But then at some point, like, becomes unreasonable to have that expectation of like holding on to it it's kind of like it reminds me like I, have you ever uh read catcher in the rye it's been a while um i used to keep a copy around because it was like the go-to book to try to look cool um when I was oh, yeah, yeah. um but yeah i read it a couple times i think the last time i read it might have been about eight years ago yeah, it was, it was so funny because when I read that as a kid, there was like this kind of epic story about the loss of innocence in some way from like a, a boy transitioning to like a young man and like having to contend with a world that's like, you know, at least in his terms, constantly saying fuck you or whatever. Yeah. But then as I've like grown up or at least I like have tried to mature, <laughs> you know, you like after if I read that now as an adult, I'm kind of just like, Oh my God, dude, this dude is just like, it's all me, me, me. I, 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 I'm so like, and I'm like, so it's kind of even in retrospect is I kind of ended up shelving it a little bit. Just be like, all right. Like, no. And the thing that always fucked me up about it was you felt like he would go on for four pages about how he felt about like his roommate. And then the dialogue would be like three lines. I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. And it's like, dude, you just rambled on about how annoying his like nail clippings are. And then you just give really? him one little line and then you roll on versus like, let him have it, man. How come you're battling yourself more than you're battling the people that seem to annoy you so much? Well, and it's like, I mean, maybe that's the genius in it. Cause like, how is that any different from how most people like view their lives anyways? I mean, a lot of times it's like, they, they go on and on about somebody else and somebody else's problems or their life or what they do that annoys them. But in like reality, it's like this weird game of self-reflection. Like usually things that annoy you about other people are the things that annoy you about yourself. Right. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. That's, I'll have to read that thing again. And what I, what I want to do with books sometimes, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I'd have the time. But books would be so interesting if you just met a character from their dialogue, especially when it's first person, versus the, the narration of their own story. 
Like how different mm-hmm. would characters be if all you did was actually experience them how you would in real life, which is through them speaking to you versus knowing what their intended thoughts are. Yeah, there's probably people that you'd rather read or read about that actually have to meet, you know what I mean? Like the, there's a lot of historical characters where I'm like, ah, oh, it's a pretty fascinating character, but I don't know if I want to be in the same room as the guy. Yeah, right. Holy cow. I, I don't think, and I probably distracted you, but did um, getting into the counseling was straight up just the, hey, I need a paycheck? Is that like a prevalent field out there? Did you grow up like hippie parents that you're always having dinner time talks about your feelings to feel good kind of stuff? Oh, no. You know, like it's, no, I, there was three tracks that I had really considered. I had a guitar teacher who was kind of like this pivotal character when I was growing up, um, who was just like kind of this like low key master guitar player. And I mean, like this guy was like savant good and he was like, pretty eccentric but he kind of could connect with me in a way that other people maybe couldn't have or maybe he just kind of caught me at a certain stage of my development but uh talking to him there was a few things that I thought maybe I wanted to do with my life and being in social services was like one of them because I was like this I don't know if I want to say I was like a young idealist but I and maybe it was like a bit of naivety and hubris but like I, you know like you're a young person that wants to go and change the world for the better yeah. and i had this kind of like altruistic vision of like what social services would be or something like that um and i was like you know what i might get that a shot you know my uncle's pretty cool he did some pretty cool stuff with coffee i could see that happening for me and so i had like a couple choices i wanted to be a luthier which is like building instruments and i got the opportunity to do that i actually built a guitar um, I did an internship briefly with a guy in town. His name's Danny Songhurst. Check him out. His guitars are like beautiful. But I had like a couple of things on the table. And my aunt was already previously working in social services here in town. So when I got out of Evergreen and found out I was having a kid and everything, um, I kind of just was like, you know what? I need a paycheck. I've done the roasting thing. I've done the guitar thing. All right, let's give the social services a shot. And, you know, they paid pretty well because it was, you know, um, you know, it was a professional job that required a degree and a background and training and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, this is something that I've wanted to do. And I could, I could support my kid on this. Like, you know, it wouldn't be, there's not a lot of economic opportunity in Spokane, Washington, my man. There's really? not a lot of upward, no, there's not a ton of upward mobility there. I feel here. like that's one. So I'm East Coast from Delaware, so like two hours south of Philly. I don't know if you ever um, came down to Delaware <laughs> when you were in Philly. Yeah. Um, but Spokane, Washington, I feel like if I had to name cities in Washington, I think you go Seattle, number one. And Spokane is the capital, correct? No, Olympia, Washington. Olympia. Is, it's a tiny little rainforest. Um, south of Seattle, about 45 minutes. Spokane um, uh, Olympia, Olympia is. Okay. Um, Spokane is like the runt cousin child that like no one wants to acknowledge. It's on the east side of the state. Okay. So, and it's got a completely different climate and everything. Like we're in the rain shadow. So like there's the Cascades and the clouds can't pass over the Cascades. Gosh. And so they dump all the water you know, all the rain onto Seattle and Olympia and all, everybody on the West side. And then when it passes over, it's just a desert, dude. It's yeah. just a desert. So we're like, 
I'm like semi, it's like semi arid here. So there's like still pine trees and stuff, but it's just like dry. Huh. It's just like tinder, which it's been burning like crazy. But, um, so yeah, like the climate and the culture is all different. It's like pretty purple here, but mostly people vote red. So it's like, there's kind of like huh. this blue, the blue West and like the desert red East. Oh. And so it's kind of like, yeah, there's, it's, it's, vastly different on the other side of the state but uh there's not a ton of like upward mobility because it's a it's a it's like an island town there's like no big town for like hundreds of miles east of here and there's nothing but seattle on the other you know to the west so it's just kind of like this little island town just floating out here and there's a there's some really great like medical units and there's quite a few attorneys and stuff, but if you're not in law or if you're not really in uh, the medical field, there's social services. And that's because there's, you know, there's uh, people struggle financially and there's, there's been drug problems in the past. It's a lot better now. Gotcha. It's actually like becoming like a blossoming little city. At least it wasn't 2019. I don't know what the future holds, but, but yeah. Okay, dude, that's interesting. Cause that's like Spokane. Spokane would have been like my second, and again, it's my East Coast bias. I think furthest west I've been is Denver, um, Colorado, and right, because I, I need to clarify that people don't know where Denver is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like Red Rocks, man, come on. Yeah, dude, I was so pissed. I fucking um missed a concert with the Dirty Heads when I went because I went on the website and was looking for like three tickets and. Um, I think it was like $200 and the guy was like, whatever, we get an Uber driver the next day. And he goes, well, individual tickets were like 40 bucks. And I'm like, could you buy individuals? He's like, yeah, dude, it's like general admission. You don't like actually have to like sit. You don't need three seats together. And I was like, son of a bitch. And it was just one of those things where I was unprepared for the moment. And I so regret it because we went to Red Rocks and saw it. And like, it would have been amazing to see a concert there at night with the sun going down. But Oh, yeah. But that like that view and that desolation, it's hard for me to like put that onto a onto a city and all that to be like, I thought Spokane was like a, like a more much I picture it, I guess, metropolis when I just hear about it, because it's the second city I think of when I think of this big ass state that's called Washington. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty sprawling. Uh, so there's like there's a downtown area, but it's it's not very big. It's like I always try to tell people it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a really tiny city. Like it's a really big town trying to be a tiny city. <laughs> and it's just like almost always almost there. And it's like almost there, but not quite. Well, like we'll, we'll still get like cool music acts and people like come through and there's like a comedy club that like pulls in national acts and stuff like that. So like, you know, we're not like completely like lost to culture, you know, and there's an arena here and, Gonzaga University is a really big basketball team and we have like the largest foot race that I think maybe in the world or the country every year it's called Bloom's Day where there's just like I don't know probably a million people running this foot race and then there's three on three basketball where they shut down the whole city and everyone plays basketball on the street. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There's been a bunch of, well, I think more Seattle-ish, but there's been a bunch of Hoopers that come out of Washington and that's maybe why I've heard of Spokane because so that's Gonzaga? So maybe that's the connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, John Stockton, man. He's yeah. uh I think he's from Spokane, but he played 
Gonzaga University. Yeah, I mean, they're kicking ass. They're going to have like a top three pick in the NBA draft. And Mark Few's um, like a world, like if you know basketball, you know Mark Few. Yeah, Mark's cool too. Like that guy is, he's the real deal. Like the person that he is on the court, he's hes that same guy off court. He's always really nice and like, er, yeah, super good dude. He's always with his family and stuff. Like you run into so, him? Like Spokane's oh, yeah. that small? Seriously? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Spokane's one of those funny places where you could, like, probably, like, stand in a traffic and, like, flip everybody off at the intersection for, like, an hour. And you wouldn't have to worry about ever seeing those people again. But, like, you know, like, you you have, like, a blind date that goes bad and you can't go to, like, half of the bars in town. <laughs> you know, it's, like, one of those places where it's, like, oh, yeah, I see Mark Few sometimes, you know. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I like the blind date part. God, that's some small town shit right there. Like you think you're like, oh my god, I'm running this person everywhere now. Yeah, right. And there's like four spots that you go to. It's like how the it's fuck like, do you know about? There's this? half a million people here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, all right, yeah. So then that's definitely where I get the Spokane connection because after um, what was his name? Adam Morrison. So he was a top three pick. I'm I'm pretty into basketball. Um, so he had the mustache. And uh, I remember his run when he cried when they lost on the basketball court. And then he had like the commercial when he was going to the NBA about, yeah, I got a mustache. Yeah, I cry when I lose and like tried to totally embrace it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think since he came along, it was like Dan Dickow. It was like the next great bunch of like white hoopers that played mm-hmm. basketball like with a system and executed. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I don't know, man. Like if you're, a, I'm a 5'10 wannabe baller. Like you gotta have someone to associate with, and it's Dan Dickow. <laughs> that's so funny. You know more about Spokane basketball than I do. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome, dude. That's so cool. We're not known for always good things, so that's funny. Yeah, no, dude. East Coast wise, like Gonzaga is like that's that's an elite elite program. Like Mark Fuse built oh, it yeah. into like a national powerhouse. And that's why it's like pretty funny to hear you talk about Spokane being like kind of small because it and I didn't go to like a real college town, but it almost I'm wondering if it's a little bit like what Penn State people tell me, um, whatever that town is called, like Happy Valley, where it's like it wouldn't be a town if it didn't have the college. It would just mm-hmm. be this abandoned place that people sporadically lived. Dude, Gonzaga is not even that big. Like when when I was going to community college, I was working over the summers to save my money so that I could kind of like have an apartment when I went to Evergreen and like not have to work as many hours or whatever. So I was like working full time, going to community college. And uh, I was working for like a commercial landscaping company, which was basically a construction company. Like we'd move fire hydrants and install like 30 pound, you know, water lines or whatever, like, you know, these big water lines to like commercial buildings and stuff and we got a contract for Gonzaga and so we did like all the pavers which is all the you know yeah all the the brick laying out front of like all the libraries and stuff and it's really not that big it's not a big place it's a small school um but they just have like an intense sports program and like there's a culture of basketball here because at Hoop Fest it's the biggest three-on-three basketball tournament I think in the world okay and so like yeah, people play basketball here a lot, and they run here a lot. People run and play basketball. Is it super – like, what's the if elevation? I, was that? What's the elevation? You know, I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Not high, not low, oh, okay. somewhere in between. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. So like that's something. Um, so Delaware being on the East Coast, I think the highest elevation I've run on normally is like 50 feet high. Typically, I'm like 20 feet above sea level. So when I went to Denver, I was like, what are all these people talking about? You get tired up here like a mile high. You know, like I'm walking around, I'm hiking, I'm feeling all right. And like I tried to like go at a mile, like go decently hard at a mile, dude. And I got winded quick as a bitch. And that's yeah. why that's why I was wondering about the running culture. If it's something about the elevation that people go there for like stamina, you hear about like bikers training in like Colorado Springs or like the Olympians training in Colorado mm -hmm. Springs because it's higher and it whatever helps your blood. And that's what I was wondering. No, I don't think it's particularly high, <laughs> but there are mount there are mountains around us, and I've heard of people you know doing sprints up the mountains and stuff like that. I'm not really sure. I think that I think that you actually have to be in high elevation for prolonged periods of time for you to actually like start getting any of the benefits. Like I think you yeah. have to stay there for like a few days and like you can't just like go up there during the day and be like, bro, I'm gonna run up the mountain. Like I'm not sure if it works like that, but yeah, not for your blood. Maybe for the muscles, like the incline for sure, but not for yeah. like changing your body. Definitely not. Yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty of bros still trying it out, still doing it. So, but yeah. So you gravitated towards the fighting culture more so than the basketball and the running culture, huh? Yeah, I I played I really liked basketball when I was a kid, but nothing more than just like a novelty of being a kid. Like right. for whatever reason, I don't I really like team sports. I'm not like a team guy. Like I'm <laughs> I'm like I'm on a martial arts team. I it it is a team, but and we have team aspects, but like you're the only person that's in a ring. Yeah. Um, and I like the the process of just like the individual self-actualization. And I think I like kind of have a predisposition to like see solitary things. Um, like I always like blues music and I always like it when it's just like a guy and his guitar and against the world. Mm. Like I just kind of always like gravitated towards that kind of stuff. And it's always like the stuff that I seem to like or like, you know, um, martial arts and like swimming and running and cycling and stuff like that. Cause it's, it's just you, it's just you against you. Trying and, to conquer um, your inner bitch. Are you that kind of dude? Yeah. Oh dude. Constantly, constantly. <laughs> well, I have to, because my inner bitch is really strong for being an inner bitch. <laughs> and if, if I like, if I lay down for a little too long, it, it'll get the edge on me. So I have to stay active. I have to keep moving forward. Or I'm screwed, dude. That, so that's that's a weird philosophical thing because it's like my inner bitch is pretty strong, but yet I'm able to conquer it. And I've always like, and I don't know where my inner bitch rates, um, because I guess I can be pretty lazy. I don't know how much pain tolerance I have, but I do get curious about when people like acknowledge, oh man, my inner bitch is strong, but like. I'm I'm looking through your Instagram and stuff, dude. And it looks like you conquer, like you slay that bitch every day. So is it really that strong? Could, shouldn't you say like you're more aggressive than inner bitch? Well, no, because I haven't always been this person. Um, like I've been, I've tried with the exception of like maybe a few days here and there. Um, I wake up like super early and I go to the gym and it's like the first thing that I do is just like get that off my plate. Mm. Uh, um, but I haven't always been that person. I've actually had like some pretty severe bouts with depression where I've just like slept for like, you know, 12, 15, 16 hours a day. Oh, Didn't like, yeah, just like even basic, 
self-care stuff was like a battle. Like it was hard. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to brush my teeth. Like I'm going to take a shower. And it was like, when I was done, it was like, I was done. Like that was it. And so, um, I basically, I think that people that suffer in that way oftentimes have the equal capacity for the opposite thing. Uh, Right. So it's like, I kind of always feel like there's like this balance where the bow had been drawn back far enough where it was like, I had gotten, my soul had gotten its rest. And it was like, so when I kind of started pulling myself out of it, um, it became like this, I, you have you have to realize very true things and acknowledge very true things about yourself that maybe other people wouldn't have have to acknowledge about themselves because they're living kind of more passively. They've never had those struggles. So when you kind of come up with that formula of how to conquer that that and have to have that fight every single day, it just kind of builds on itself. And pretty soon, you know, it's like a Prado curve where it just at some point it becomes intense really quickly. And that's basically like, that's basically what happened with me. Whereas like, it got pretty intense. It went from depression to like a thousand, like pretty quick. And people might go, well, that's like manic depression or whatever. But I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily manic. Um, yeah. It was just, it was a process of self-actualization through like embracing adversity, willingly embracing adversity. Um, Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it did. It actually did. And I was trying to, I'm sure there's some sort of actual theory or name about like, however far you can go into the negative, you would then have that same ability to go into the positive if you look at things as a linear way because life is like a balance, right? Everyone always hears equal and opposite reactions. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. Like you have all these basic principles, yin-yang, right? Like these principles of life that are balanced, that are based on balance. Like why do we have a cycle of life? So death and then death creates life. And it does, I've never thought of it that way though, of like if you could go to that sort of extreme where it's a battle just to have self-care, self-care. Like, mm-hmm. why can't you go to the opposite where you're killing basically like non-self-care or you're battling things that would harm your self-care, right? So to yeah. me, that made that, that made a ton of sense, man. I hadn't thought of it as like the polar opposites or like the bow. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it, it really, I guess it really was like that. Uh, but also there was like a necessity to it. Um, and there was like things that I, I did like initially kind of like to open the door. Like, um, it didn't, I mean, it, it didn't go zero to a thousand like that. I mean, it happened pretty quick, way faster than I thought it was going to, but I mean, it just started with just meditating in bed where I was just like, okay, if I can't get up and I can't do anything, like I can still focus on my breath. Hmm. And that like gave me enough of an opening that I could start building on it. Like, okay. It's a little before rain. I go, before I brush my teeth, I'm going to make my bed. Gotcha. And it was like, I had the presence to be able to like make my bed, turn on my light, walk in the other room, take a shower real quick. And then maybe that was it. But it, I could just kind of build from that far enough. Dude, that is so hard for me to be empathetic because it's so hard for me to imagine 
feeling that way. Like I'm trying to think of how like the saddest points in my life. And I'm like, it's, it's tough for me to realize what it would take to get there. Well, it's, that's the thing is it's not sadness. Like people usually when they're depressed turn to sadness because that's the only feeling that they can feel, but it's nothing, dude. Mm. It's just nothing. It's just like an open room. Like there's nothing to it. God. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like I remember like I got COVID and I like, couldn't taste anything. I was like, Oh, you motherfucker. Like this tastes like depression. Like I can't <laughs> taste this. Right. So it, I don't know, not to like make it a super sad conversation or anything, but, but yeah. And I, I'm actually really grateful because I feel like it's helped me actualize. Like I've seen so many people, they live like normal lives where like they have these like humdrum happenings and like everything kind of just seems like bleached and bolted to the ground and they've never like had to like really do a ton of inner work and like look at themselves and like reflect and like sure it was like fucking terrible the catalyst to it but it's like man am i grateful that i got to like be able to soul search in my life like to actually know what it is to like like have feel spiritual wealth just like eating food and being able to taste it and like being able to go to a walk like on a walk just like fucking effortlessly just like, oh, this is so easy. Like, I could just enjoy this. Like, I have, like, just this infinite presence that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to really feel. <coughs> so I'm re-watching The Sopranos, <laughs> and I'm almost um, yeah, done. Man. Have you watched The Sopranos or know anything? Yeah, okay. dude. The Sopranos, man. Okay. Great. So Great series. Aside from, and I think his name is Vinny, the big guy, like I didn't realize there was so much like this whole gay love arc story with him when he runs away and this guy on a Harley, but oh, yeah, yeah. The, which, which to me is amazing. Cause if you think of the time like that, and I didn't watch it back then. It's the first time I'm watching like season four five and six, like they really, to me, I'm like, dude, that's fucking empowering. Like I think of the LGBTQ movement now and I'm like, I had no idea that shit was going on almost 20 years ago and like getting that kind of empowerment. Like I, I can't believe how not graphic, but detailed the scenes are and how they keep you in the moment as a viewer. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea this was going on. But anyway, the point was Tony Soprano just gets over getting shot and a septic shock his blood almost killed him and for like five episodes he just enjoys everything sitting in a chair is complete bliss to him where before life is weighing him down he's worried about all these things and he's just not letting shit get get him down and now throughout the season six he's like fighting to maintain that and not get annoyed about things fighting to remember how valuable living the living part of life is to him and it's the closest thing I can connect to what you're saying, but it makes sense where if like a walk, like just enjoying a walk versus like the, is it the want of the walk? Yeah, I guess I should have asked that because I've never thought about this before, man. Like what makes the walk enjoyable coming from that place? Uh, just like that I can just easily make the decision to take a walk and not only take the walk, but enjoy the walk. Like, it's not like I got to fucking do this today. Like I have to go out and see the sun. Like I have to go for a walk. 
So it's like, it's not a burden anymore. Like it, what you were saying about Tony Soprano, it reminded me, do you know who Dostoyevsky is the author? Yeah. Um, that's a, um, not, not war. I think he did do war and peace. Right. But what was the other book? Oh, crime and punishment. Crime and punishment, demons, um, the house of the haunted, like a bunch of great classics. Like, and I think he's still regarded as like one of like the, I think the predecessor to modern psychology. So like a lot of modern psychology, if you go back far, at least in the West, if you go far back enough, it'll go back to Dostoyevsky and his like, you know, how he psychoanalyzed the human mind. But he wrote this book called The Idiot and oh, it was dude. about a person. <laughs> I got like 20 a- pages onto like a train ride to Roanoke. Actually, maybe 200 pages. The book's a fucking thousand pages long, man. It's on yeah. my bucket list. And that dude, the fucking cousin or whatever is such an idiot. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's hilarious. Cause so, sorry, keep going. But and, yeah, the, and, the characters. Oh my God. And so, so that's, that's the, so the, the, the whole book is a base of, and I correct me. I mean, if anybody's listening and they know more about this, you know, don't take my word for it. Look it up. But <laughs> and I know it's based on a personal experience where he was on a shot. Like he was, you know, I think, I think it was the Russian government at the time like dragged him out into a field and put a gun to the back of his head and they were going to shoot him. And, um, he said that he had like looked up and then he saw light reflecting off the top of a steeple of a church. And he had like this euphoric moment of just loving everything. And, uh, at the last second, his life was spared. Like someone had come with a letter that exonerated him and they didn't kill him but he was like moments away from, from dying. And so the idiot was inspired by what if a person felt that feeling all of the time, right? The rest of the world would think they were an idiot. It's so true. Cause in the book, everybody mocks is just happy, go lucky. Like, well, fuck, I want to say like he's whistling and shit and it's just annoying to people or he's smiling or he's courteous, you know, or he's just like has conversations with people just for the fuck of it. And they're like, right, yeah, what's yeah, wrong yeah. with this dude? Yeah. And I, sometimes I feel like the idiot for sure. Um, I guess in more than one way, but like in the sense that like, <laughs> you know, like people harp on me and stuff. Cause I like at work or something. Like I have like a pretty limited diet. Like I, I try to like, I try not to get a ton of external pleasure to fix internal issues. So if I'm just eating something just to eat something, like I'll just stop myself. Dude, that's, so, that's a fucking thing right there. Sorry to cut you off, man, but that's like some oh, yeah. disciplined shit, man. I've, I've found that with myself. I got to stop. Like, why the fuck am I bored? So I'm going to eat something just to kill the yeah. shit like that. And, and so like, I'll just be at work, like eating a rice cake or something. And one of my coworkers or my boss will give me a hard time. Like Dallas is like eating over there, like rice cakes over there. Like, what's your problem, man? <laughs> You've been eating those for a year or whatever. And I'm like, I'm actually like really happy with this thing. Like, I'm just like super happy just to be in this moment and eat this rice cake and just like enjoy myself. And I don't like, ah, I don't, I don't see that a lot in people all the time anymore. It's always you know, next, people- dude. It's always next and it, it's right. really, it, I, I don't know the next thing. what it is, but it, it really is the next. And you know, what's interesting um, as a teacher, do you know when a kid wants your attention, at least around here, how they ask? I'm sure you don't cause you're not from around here. So how no. would you, so if, if you had to ask a teacher a question, when you raised your hand, 
what word would come out of your mouth if you had a question? Um, maybe I would just say, I have a question. Right. Or excuse me, maybe you would call yeah. their name, right? Yeah. yeah say, Do you know Mr. What, so-and-so. Right. So kids around here say, wait. And what? I don't know. They say, wait. They were like, wait. Wait. Yeah. As oh, a little okay. wait. And it's like, dude, I'm, and I'm like literally not walking away. I'm just standing next to them. Like it, it's, a, it's, it's <laughs> almost a phenomenon. And I'm like, what do you want me to wait for? They were like, I don't even know why I said it. But to me, I get like as philosophical as I can get. And I'm like, do kids constantly either feel left behind or not present? Right? Probably not- Probably both. And I think it probably has to do with the fact that they're always dealing with a society that has a time spent, like a, they, like people's attention is like this big from the internet. Right. Like it used to be like five minutes at a time you'd watch TV and it would like flip to the advertisement. But now it's like every three seconds, if you're not getting some like dopamine rush from like an Instagram reel, you're like next thing, next thing, next thing. Yeah. And it's like, I wonder if they're dealing with adults that have that time span, like, wait, come back. Right. Like, don't, don't lose you to the phone. Please explain this to me. Huh. Or like, you know. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point too, the adults. But yeah, man, it, 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 it's, it, it's sad because they don't get to enjoy. It seems like they don't get to enjoy the moment and that they're not present and happy into what is just currently being. And it sounds so hippie-ish, but it's, um, it's a contentment, man. And I feel like a lot of kids, when you're feeling bad or you're feeling upset, you can find joy in just a moment versus trying to avoid that feeling. I don't know. That's super yeah. woo-woo-ish. Do you, no, that's true, man. Do you consider yourself like woo-woo-ish like that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that I do. Like, yeah, I do think that there's like, there's room in my mind. Look, all this stuff is so weird as it is. I think it's so funny when people get so self-limiting, like there's no way that could be true, Uh, you know? And it's like, especially when you're talking about things that can't like, can't be proved necessarily or disproved, you know, at the same time where you're just kind of like, Oh yeah, there's this weird phenomenon or like the idea of God be like, no, yes or no. Like super hard. It's like, no, this shit is already really weird. Like for these like conscious mammals, like building things for no reason. We don't know why. Like in this, you know, infinite space, like who the fuck knows? Like, so I, I guess there's like, I don't have any like self-limiting principles. So sometimes maybe that leaves me open to like wandering into woo-woo shit, Yeah. you know, where I'm like, I'm just kind of like, how could I, like, who am I to like judge what's what's right, right or yeah, right or wrong or what's reasonable or unreasonable. Like this whole thing seems unreasonable to me, you know? So it's kind of like, I don't know, man. But like, there's things that, that I know to be true because I've maybe internally tested them with my life and through my individual action. Like I know meditation works for a fact, like there's something to it. I don't know how to explain it, but it really like, it doesn't even, it changes even your external, your external world in a weird way. Like the more I meditate, the cleaner my house is and I don't even try. Like it's weird. When so when you say what do you have to have? Do you have like a specific meditation routine, posture, room, anything, or like what what is your meditation like? 
when I first got started, I like, I had to like learn all these like strict traditions and I had to be like, like I was reading all like the Zen postures, like laying, kneeling, standing, and you know, they have like walking meditation. And, uh, like I got like really into all of it, like all of like maybe like the tools, like singing bowls, which I still use or malas, which I like really do like to malas, but like, wait, symbols. Can I ask about that? Or like, no, I, or yeah. Or what? Like tools, excuse me. Okay. I didn't. So am, am I thinking of it kind of the right way? If it's like a prayer bead kind of a thing where it just yeah. helps you. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. It's got like 108 beads on it. It's got like a guru bead and there's like a way that you hold it so that you can like use it for prolonged periods of time um without getting you know uncomfortable using it and sitting in one posture for a long period of time okay and then it's a good tracker too like you it, you'll like as soon as you get to the guru bead you know that you've done 108 breaths huh. so i use it as like a mindfulness technique and there's like tons of traditions from different places in the world so there's like you know people in india might use a mala differently than how they would use a mala in like a buddhist tradition in the east as as far as i understand it yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I'll, I'll use different kind of like tools and techniques. And like, I've known boxers who do like candle gazing, which is kind of like something that people haven't really talked a ton about, but I've noticed that it, it was helpful. Um, which is just like, it's a meditation where you, you stare at a candle while like the flame is moving. And, um, the idea is like, then you close your eyes and you know how like people like stare at a light you close your eyes the light is still there that's so fucking cool man like that's the coolest thing i i still do it i feel like a dork when i do it i'll stare at a stealing fan just for the hell of it (laughs) yeah it's it's a meditation um so you stare at the candle for a period of time you close your eyes and then you try to trace it till it disappears and then you just repeat the process over and over again and there's a bunch of scientific studies that suggest that it helps with rapid eye movement and like um like reaction times and stuff like that and i've like had fun experimenting with it not necessarily married to any one way i just kind of like as soon as i learn another one it's just another tool in the tool bag where i'm like oh i can like go back and like do a sound bath if i want to and that's fun it's got its benefits or it sounds almost like if you know a bunch of different core workouts like for if you're trying to work your abs out Uh, or something like that and you're just like oh cool i know like 25 ways to do this. So for basketball, it's like, okay, I know 12 different layup drills. This way you don't get bored with one. Yeah, exactly. Like I can like sit at home and use a singing bowl, but like say if I'm like waiting in the dentist office or something and I'm there early, it's like 45 minutes. Like I can just sit there and I don't have to like get on my phone. Like I can just sit there and be a person. So why is meditation not just thinking? This has always been my, my, like a hurdle I have to overcome. Cause I'm like, so if I'm just looking around, getting lost in my thoughts, aren't I meditating if I'm not relying on some sort of like audio stimuli or distraction? As I understand it, I think that's transcendental meditation where you're like allowing your mind to just to like rifle, like it's like a raging scene. You're just kind of like watching it. Yeah. Whereas like opposed mindfulness is with like, you're like using grounding techniques. Like you're really like focusing on like, your body and your breath and the tip of your nose and like really trying to anchor yourself into the room. And then what inevitably happens and you kind of like enter a state of consciousness where you're like present in the room, but your perception of time is changes. Hmm. Um, 
and you yeah again you have that you in the same way of transcendental meditation you have kind of like a raging river and you kind of like you're just noticing your thoughts but meditation i think at its core is just it's not not thinking everyone thinks it's like <laughs> oh, i can't not think it's just like yeah if you could not think then you'd be in like like so it, the, the idea is just like the process of meditation is just like constant redirected the redirection to like being in the moment or like sensory feelings so it's just like constantly grounding yourself to the moment so like even if you if you like people start and they have like a monkey mind and like runs away from them and they can't get a control of it and then they get all worried that they can't control about it it's just like that's just your monkey mind like just focus on your breath man and then you just keep bringing it back to your breath back to your breath back to your breath Hmm. And then you see t- less time lapses in between having to refocus your attention back to your breath. You become aware of the refocus and that's almost like your interval. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you don't want to like go into it with the expectation that you're going to like alter your consciousness. Cause that's called state hunting. So like, and like what happens is if you go state hunting, you're like, Oh, I just want to be like super present and I want time to slip away. It just won't show up. It just won't happen. Hmm. It's like the desire gets in the way of like actually being able to be in the moment. So why is that so powerful for you? Or why do you need that so much? Cause not, not to be like a dick or anything. I'm like, that has so little appeal to me, (laughs) but at the same time, I've never experienced it. And I'm like, am I missing out on something? Is there a void in my life? Like what's wrong with me? I think like, I think like a part of it was you know, being a person that has had depression and also like substance problems and stuff where I was just like constantly looking to something else to make me feel better all the time. I was like always on this hunt in the, like in the world, in the material world, material world or whatever. And I was like always trying to call friends and I couldn't just like sit in a room and just like have a cup of tea and just sit down. And so like, I had to like really train myself to be like, okay, you don't need to like call anyone right now. You did, like you've spent five minutes with your thoughts, dude. Like you should be able to spend half an hour with yourself. Like, Man, you know, it's okay to like sit down and just enjoy the moment. That's a great point. Cause it's almost like, again, like the eating to avoid the feeling, you know, for, for me, I'd be like, yeah, how do I wind down? And I, I'm, I've been working through this myself, like doing like, do you drink too much? right? Or do you drink for mm-hmm. enjoyment? And I just um, spoken with a yogi, um, Spencer actually. And he was like, is it an enhancement or is it, um, fuck, what was it? It didn't call it a habit, but the way he worded it hit me in that moment. And I was like, is that the definition or is there any one just definition? But I do notice that where the phone can be it, or you got to put on some music cause you don't want to be alone. Cause you're just worried about like the silence. Or even going mm-hmm. to bed, just having to, when you go to bed, like having to go to bed, listening to a podcast or watching TV till you go to sleep and having a TV timer so that it goes off. Like, why are you scared to just lay in bed and see what happens? Why can't you go to bed yeah. without your chamomile or your um, CBD or whatever like the soother is? It's, um, that's probably way more prevalent than like when people think of addiction problems mm-hmm. i'd say that issue is way more prevalent than would be shown through people with just like addiction issues yeah it's funny 
I think that people don't even really like it's technology has has advanced so quickly, but at the same time, we've become like weirdly comfortable with it and kind of complacent with it. And we don't really realize how fast the treadmill has been going. Like in the nineties, like if you needed to go to the bathroom and you were like squatting on the toilet, you didn't have a phone. And if your friend didn't have a magazine on the rack, well, you were SOL. You're just yeah. going to stare at the floor. Right. Like, <laughs> so true. I mean, it's like inconceivable to kids nowadays that they just can't even have three seconds to themselves in a bathroom. You get twitchy, man. Look at a grocery it's line. Like, like that's my, that I, I try so hard to not be the dude. If I'm waiting in the grocery line, Normal, I tried, I tried to take the moment to be like, why the fuck can't I even just wait four minutes and let someone have a job who wants a job versus go to self-checkout where I can like self-stimulate? Why can't I just sit on my cart and relax for like five? How come I'm not okay with that? Why do I feel yeah, like Yeah, or I'm... just like turning to the person behind you that likely lives a, a mile away from no you that doubt. has a kid that goes to the school, the same school as you do and just being like, hey, what's up? Like, how you doing? That's the second thing, right? Like, and then if you are in line- it's like. Yeah, man, you're a fucking horse with the visors on. And it's yeah, like, you can't look around and like, I got to catch myself. And I purposefully try to pass people and like make eye contact and just smile at them just for the fuck of it. Just to be like, Hey, <laughs> you know? And like, well, it's weird that that feels weird. Cause I don't think that should feel weird. I think that should feel normal. Yeah. And it's like, but you're perfectly open to speaking to that person that was behind you in line, but just online. Yeah. And probably yelling at him about some sort of divisive issue that doesn't have anything to do with you, you know. <laughs> no doubt, traffic, fucking traffic sucks. <laughs> outrage, outrage feels so warm, man. <laughs> That's a good point. Outrage feels so warm. Yeah, justified anger is a hell of a blanket. Man, you're deep, dude. It's funny how like fighters, like combat people. I've, I've been fortunate enough to get to know a lot of like people into jujitsu and um, I don't know the difference a ton. I'm, I believe I could kind of know the difference between, I believe you're Muay Thai that yeah, I was yeah. seeing you're into and like jujitsu or just wrestling and grapplers or like ultra runners. But it seems like these people that physically challenge themselves, they're not like dumb jocks like you would normally associate. Yeah. Like these people I mean, seem to get real deep, man. Yeah, you'll get, you'll get all sorts of, you'll get all sorts of flavors of people. Um, Jiu-jitsu is like, they're all just kind of like killer nerds. Like these are guys that are like wearing like, uh, you know, they're, they're wearing, you know, these like really tight mesh clothes, right? What are they called? Ge not geese. Why? I don't even know why I'm spacing this out. But, yeah, the geese, uh, the road, you know, they right? have, ra oh, excuse me. They're rash guards. So, okay. but they'll have like all these graphic designs from video games that they like. Or they'll be like superhero, like Superman on them, right? And then okay. usually it's like, it's a thinking man's game. It's like a chess game. Um, and like most of them aren't like these like super strong domineering people, you know. And Muay Thai is a little bit more mixed. But like, you'd be surprised the types of people that it, it, it really, that gravitate towards martial arts. Like, yeah, it's, it's not quite, it, it's not so easy to be like, oh yeah, they're just dumb jocks. Like it's it's quite the mix of people and people are all there for their own reasons. It makes me wonder yeah. if you're like facing, not like life and death situations, but like in, in an arena, if you're fighting, like typically it's fight or flight, right? So if you're choosing to stay for a fight, I wonder if that's why 
you would tend to get more deep and philosophical about life because you're like facing mortality regularly yeah. where so many people a roller coasters the closest i've come to mortality you know i think i've been in a car accident yeah. and like that was the closest i've been to mortality i don't i don't face it really on a daily basis or i don't train yeah. to face it yeah obviously our mortality in our society is just like really foreign to us but also just like um just being i guess in a situation that you're not entirely in control of i suppose mm-hmm. but I, I think that I think in a lot of ways, at least I can only really speak for myself, but it was like I I naturally gravitated towards martial arts because I needed a process of like discovering my most authentic self. Um it was just like a medium for me to practice like self-actualization. Um it was really difficult and it was something that I don't know if I was necessarily scared of confrontation, but it was unpleasant. It was unpleasant. Like verbal, you know? physical, or any kind? Uh mostly like physical, I suppose. Like, you know, I grew up I grew up, I had really nice parents and I, I lived in a like I, everything was like really good, but I also there was always like Spokane was kind of rough when I was growing up. So it was just like you're just in the mix. Hmm. So I wasn't necessarily like super hesitant to like defend myself or like stand up for myself necessarily. Um, but I think that it was more from like a philosophical perspective. Like, I think I just needed to like have that medium and it just kind of appeared and I just kind of ended up chipping away at it. Um, but yeah, it was more of like really just aligning my body, my mind and my spirit towards an ultimate goal that I thought was worthy of, you know, stumbling upwards toward stumbling upwards toward. Can I, um, it helps me just timeline wise. Cause I feel like we've got the counseling choice. I've got the going to have a child. I've got the depression, meditation, self-actualization, got martial arts. Can you kind of give me a timeline? Almost like a little summary. I feel oh, like, a, cause I'm trying to put them together and it seems like, and I can't believe you're just 30 dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and that, that was, there was, then that was actually a really succinct way of putting it. I'm actually kind of, like I said, like I kiss the Blarney Stone, man, Blarney Stone, man. Like I can just talk and I go off on tangents. So I love it. Yeah. If the time, if the timeline doesn't make sense, it's yeah, that's really a product of my mind rather than anything else. But, uh, yeah. So it happened actually in that order. Um, but there is just kind of like a tandem effect, obviously with like substances and depression that kind of went back and forth. And it's like, it's kind of hard to be like, Oh yeah, this time and that time and this time and that time. But like, yeah, there was two chunks, um, from basically the time I was like 17 to the time I was like 22. Like I was drunk. I was lit. I was having fun partying. And a lot of that I was, it was like, it was so juvenile and it was, it was, it was so, I don't know, almost innocent in like i i don't even really think about that time frame as much but i cleaned up went to school was working that construction job um went to evergreen that was nuts and then that's when i came back and i i had my kid and it was after having my kid because of the life circumstances that i was in in that point that i like fell into depression um oh, man. and there was like a there was a lot of stuff going on around that whole situation and um there was a lot of 
uh, and you know, like my job is really tough. You know, I was like dealing with kids that were living with suicidal and homicidal ideations, like, and you know, I was doing like crisis response calls and stuff like that. So like you were talking kids out of, you know, like very serious suicidal gestures. So it was like, my life was became, was complicated on every front, whether it was with what was going on at home with my profession. Um, and like, I went through some stuff where the trajectory of my life and what I had thought I knew about people completely shattered. Hmm. Like I had this internal narrative of like what I was going to do and what my life was going to look like. And I felt like I understood people really well. And like, I knew that their incentives and, uh, that I was going to swim through this period of my life and have this, I don't know that things were going to just like work out a certain way. And when you, when you realize that you don't know shit about people, that your life is fucked up because, um, because of you and nobody else, Hmm. and that you're the only person that's responsible for it. Even if people around you or your circumstances are bad, that your character is still your own and that's still your own responsibility and your own virtue is your responsibility. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so like, you know, you, you take on this like weird sense of guilt and shame because you're just like, I know most of my problems are my fault. And like all these things were kind of like, Oh, and that's weighing you down like a motherfucker. And then you also have to like compartmentalize like your personality and your character. You have like this facade that you're propping up in each department of your life, whether it's like your work and there's your family and then you got your friends that you party with. And then you've got like, you know, all these other people and you're like trying to, your life becomes so complicated and none of it's working out Hmm. that it, it, yeah, I think that's where I was going with it. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Dude, it makes total sense. I, okay, I don't, what doesn't make sense is why you feel like you don't make sense, man. I think you're clear as shit. I, okay, I like I'm, I'm, I'm able to follow with you. And to me, it's, again, like the counseling aspect is almost like, I don't know how people can do that for 30 years. Like, I don't know how you could be a homicide detective for 30 years and not have it alter you, not have it shape the way you see people right and even if you do that intently like how could you be um what's the what's the name of the doctor is it oncologist the doctor that deals with cancer oh yeah i should know that how like how how could you be like a an oncologist in a in a children's hospital and like be okay like the weight you must feel when things don't go right it it, it's uh, I, i i i couldn't measure it because how how can you deal with that kind of suffering daily and then okay that's my eight hour shift hey let's go to the park today where do we want to go rubo over spring break sounds great oh wait wait for my one o'clock i need to finish booking my airbnb to cabo and like i I just feel like it'd be so insensitive so to have that weight of the world and then like it seemed like you were getting like a little realization of like wow life might not be easy you know oh yeah that's well, I mean, that, I'm, I'm following that seems like a, an avalanche an avalanche of awareness that maybe you just weren't oh, ready yeah. for at that time oh yeah yeah and uh, yeah i think that's i think that's what really was yeah that was really it and it's funny um most of that job actually there was like mandatory training hours that you had to meet every month and then like every quarter and then then yearly 
and it was like all self-care based training like it was very little training like when once you got all of your your client training or yeah your client training up front a lot of like the rest of the training that you were required to fulfill with the company to continue to stay certified with the state was all about like don't burn self-care the fuck out. Don't yeah, burn the don't, fuck out. <laughs> yeah, don't go fucking postal. Like, right? and like the office that I worked in had like 10 people in it at any given point. And I saw that office turnover probably about six times, including the manager in the two years that I was there. And it's a deep, like, is it a middle-class job out there? Yeah. Well, like at least the organization, the nonprofit that I worked for, um, they took on a lot of like fresh people from college. Like I, I was like, not like a novel thing. Like a lot of the people that were clinicians had like just gotten their master's degree in social services or got their master's in um, counseling or something to that effect. And they were like, this was like their first job that was like, you know, it paid pretty well. And it was in the field that they had like studied for. And, um, you know, a lot of it was like really sweet people that like wanted to help the world, but like obviously the reality of it was way different. And I was like the battle tested like Vietnam War vet in the kitchen drinking the black coffee. Like you don't know, you don't understand, <laughs> you know, and they'd be gone in a while. William you know, but, Yeah. But like people, yeah, it's it's a smack in the face to anybody that's an idealist, that's for sure. Because life is complicated and people are messy yeah. and you don't always know what the right road is like that. Some of those jobs, and I'm, I'm sure that you probably experienced this too. Like you will suddenly be thrown into moral such moral conundrums and problems that you didn't think that you could ever be faced with that. Like you don't even like they're presented to you in such a way that you're like, I don't even really know how to conceptualize this immediately. Like, what am I processing? To, yeah, it's it, it's a weird for me as a teacher, right? I've gotten there with grades and even discipline. Like I, I I've mind fucked myself out of is a rule a rule? The only rule is there is no absolute rule because a kid, I can sit down next to a kid and tell them to get on task and they can be compliant, get on task and get refocused, and that's great. I can sit next to a kid across from that kid tell them to get on task. And they'll be like, leave me the fuck alone. I don't understand why you're hassling me all the goddamn time. Fucking son of a bitch. And I yeah. just sit there and I accept it. And I go, so having a rough morning today, are we? Aw, oh, that's cool. Do you, do you need a hug and try to play it off? Or like, you don't curse me out, right? Like there, yeah. there's 40 different ways to respond to that. And it's really been challenging for a person like me that I try to strive with like, compliance, um, I'm mission oriented, I'm objective driven. What, what do we need to accomplish? What do I need you to do? Let's roll. Let's get there. Yeah. And I always felt, I always felt bad for teachers too, because you're looking for an outcome. Yes. It's different for you, you know, cause you got to get them to do something. Dude, and for me, like, it was just talk. Yeah, dude. And well, that's the worst part is like, you used to be like, kids used to fear like failure and kids used to fear, fear summer school and kids used to fear detention and suspension. And like a lot of that shit's kind of been taken away, man. Cause there's an emphasis on the kid, not the outcome, right? Not, not like the consequence. So in some ways, like I, you just sit there and you just get to be a fucking whipping boy. You get to be a little bitch and let the kid yeah. lash out. 
And you have to like check your pride of like, I'm gonna let this kid beat me up a little bit so that we can get past this to the point where they're comfortable enough to talk so that hopefully tomorrow when they come in, they'll think about whatever essay I want them to write <laughs> or whatever story element I want them to use. And you're like, it goes against everything in my nature because I'm like, do you know how much work we're missing? Do you know how you're falling behind? You've got to yeah. get there. And it's like, this kid's fucking homeless, man. He don't give a fuck about figurative language at this moment. Dude, right. don't know where his food's coming from. What the fuck is wrong with you caring about figurative language? Who gives a fuck, dude? Sit down with the kid. Give the kid a win. The kid obviously needs a win. Let him get a win. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been a very... Give him his ounce of control. Yeah, right? But... Yeah. At the same time, now there's 27 other kids looking. And now 27 other kids can tell you to fuck off if they want to. Half, and there's half no wild outlaws, man. Yeah, dude. It's a very weird balance for me. So it's, it is one of those things. I forgot. Like, fuck, man. I got lost in my own tangent there. But like, it, it's, it's one of those things where is a rule a rule? Is control control? Like, what do kids need? It, it's a weird... I don't know. It's a weird place to be. Well, and it's funny too, because you think that going the authoritarian role, it seems like very immediate, the consequences of doing a poor job at being the mini dictator in the room. Like you're like, Oh yeah. Like I'm just going to like repress the crap out of them, scare them a little bit. Right. Right. Like Lord some discipline over his head. It's like really easy to see how that's going to backfire. But then on the other hand, like too much, too much like comfort and sympathy and constant, like, you know, patting on the head and like, you know, that person doesn't understand how, like the consequences of that are secondary and our third consequences that's like down the road. It's easier to kind of like dismiss them, but it's like, oh, this person doesn't know how to self-soothe now. Yeah. Now they don't know how to override their emotions because your emotions usually are pretty illogical. Yeah. Like there's a difference between like your intuition and your, your emotions, right? Yeah. Like you shouldn't like, be feeling like this is a fight or flight moment, man. All I'm asking you yeah, like, to do is be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Or how many times have you been at work and it's like the most trivial little thing sets you off. Yeah. But like you're having that internal narrative, like, you know what, this set me off, but I'm here and I'm a teacher and I have to do my job. Yeah. And like my emotions don't really matter right now. Yeah. Like maybe they do matter in like the big foo-foo long you know like in the bigger sense but like as of right now i got something to do and i can't like woe is me over like spilling my coffee right like and so it's like then you know are you enabling the person not to overcome that you for know, me you it's like are they manipulating it are are the are are people especially intelligent children utilizing key words that they know get them out of shit. Like kids will be like, I'm being triggered right now. I need to go for a walk. And it's like, no motherfucker. You just don't feel like writing an essay. Like yeah, I know. suck it up, dude. Clear. Like you don't get to say I'm getting triggered. Why are you getting triggered? Cause I walked by and said, how's it going? And that yeah, triggered you. Cause now you feel pressure. Stop. You know? You're fucking, you're fucking nine. Don't politic me. Dude, it's, but it's a real <laughs> thing. Like it's a balance uh, of yeah. like, Letting kids manipulate systems because kids just like they'll know better on social media. Like it'll be a manipulation, but at the same time, it just but it might be real and not a manipulation. And wouldn't you rather err on the side of caution? And then by the time you figure out what you want to do, it's been ten minutes and you don't even know how to help anybody. <laughs> and you're like, well, and it's like, it's can you really blame them? I mean, they're like they're they're tiny people that are trying to can 
contend with the big world and they're testing their limitations, like what's appropriate, what's not. I mean, that's they're playing the game of developing and testing and trying right. and finding new boundaries. So it, it, I mean, it's not even like really like, are you a good kid, bad kid for testing the boundaries? It's just, that's a natural consequence of like growing up yeah. and just seeing what happens when I push the limits, you know? And so it's like, yeah, of course, of course there's kids going to be trying to game the system. I was one of them. Right. I was mad. I was mad. I was trying to get two chocolate milks the whole time I was in elementary school. Yeah, right. It you know starts I mean? as simple as that. Like when you get doubles, sneaking an extra bag of chips or some shit. My, my like... mom says I have a calcium deficiency and cows have calcium, right. you know. Dude, for me, it was like when, when we found out that we could say we skipped breakfast and that got us out of class and the nurse would give us like a pass to go get golden grams during like second period. And you got 10 minutes just to sit there and eat it. I was like, I'm doing this fucking once a week. <laughs> like this is going right? to be my Thursday routine because now I get to leave class and I get extra breakfast and all I have to do is oh, say man. I didn't have breakfast. Like done. Oh yeah. Like this is obviously an extreme advantage, like example, but it was like, like when I was a kid, I really didn't like the first half of church. Like I liked some of the stories and stuff and I'd sit there and I'm like, you know, like try to imagine all these war scenes and like, you know, like pharaohs and shit like that. Like, you know, I, I thought that was pretty cool, but like I like hated the singing and the talking and like the standing prayer and then you could sit down and stand up and like sometimes I just like wasn't having it. And I think at, I think like we were like, one time when I was my fr- with my friends, we were like, you know, holding our breath. We were having a competition and I realized that I could hold my breath until I passed out. And I was like, oh man, this is a useful tool. So like every, every once in a while, you know, when I was like, I couldn't overplay my hand. I couldn't do it all the time. But every once in a while, I'd just be like, you know what? I'd rather go nighty night than sing this song. And, you know, I'd hold my breath until I just, like, got loose in the legs or whatever. And everyone would go, oh, my God, Dallas fainted randomly again. You know, and, like, I'd go sit in the foyer with my tie or whatever. It's like, I mean, using a word to get out of doing an essay is easy. You know, if I was willing to do, like, hold my breath till I passed out, like, of course. like Yeah, right? Like, dude, kids will go to those sorts of limits to it'll be more work and that's the thing you know like it's more work to get out of the work than it is to do the work but for some reason oh that's God. what kids Isn't are that... about man kids are about figuring out how to get around it it's like a little mental play game and it's like do we really want to even discourage that because ours in our society built on figuring out how to take advantage of systems and other well that's getting all philosophical again but like it's kind of a useful trait in life to know what are the advantages and how to manipulate systems. Well, yeah. What is it? Like, I feel, I feel like my half, my childhood was learning this lesson, but, uh, Ayn Rand said it and I might be like paraphrasing, but she said, um, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. Mm. And it's like, if you're like taking the shortcuts, like there's going to be some blowback. Sometimes you just got to take a shortcut and just like make it happen. Right. But like, if your life is one big, I'm going to take a, a shortcut. Like there's going to be consequences to that. And then it's going to be like, why is this happening? You know, obviously, but like you can't ignore it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Dude, your, your, your whole, like your countenance and face lit up talking about kids, man. I'm surprised that it like, 
it weighed you down. Did you just not get enough wins in the counseling to keep you going? Oh, dude, there is. Actually, all the wins came when I left. Really? All of them came. All of them came when I left. Um, you don't really know the impact that you have on people, even just by being present, That's just like true. being there. That's so true. And like, you know, and especially when you're dealing with kids that you know have like some pretty tough behaviors and uh and for good reason and for good reason have some bad behaviors you don't really know like it's hard to like sift through that and like see see like how you're a positive figure in any way you know because it's just like you just have this constant fire hose of like you know, challenging behaviors and you're just like a lot of it is just like putting out flyers constantly. Oh dude, that's the worst. Like the weeded way. Did you ever wait tables? Uh no, I was a dishwasher, man. Okay. So yeah, it's just like the fucking busters dropping off bucket or tray after I, I was a busser, so like we carried it on a tray and just the dishwashers when they finally cleared the line, and then that's when you walk in with the fucking like twenty top that you just cleared. <laughs> You're like boom, and it's like there's always a dirty glass. But waiters, it's the same thing. Like you just feel weeded. You never feel like you're giving anybody your best because you're so spread. Yeah, definitely. So like, yeah, I think all like basically when I when I quit, I stepped down from my position. The clients that I had like expressed remorse that I was leaving, but like, like so unexpectedly, like I had one kid that, um, told me that he, it was, you know, obviously defensive behavior, um, due to like trauma or whatever, but like, he used to like hide under a blanket and tell me that he was a vampire (laughs) and he just like, he like wouldn't speak. He was like probably seven or eight. And I'm not kidding you. All of my clinical hours that I logged in were just like me sitting there. And I just try to start a conversation and it wouldn't happen. And it was just like, there is like some clinical merit to just the presence of a positive figure. So I just put in my notes that, you know, it wasn't cooperative and was quiet. And, you know, those were like billable hours or whatever. But I, I told him that I was leaving and I'm not kidding you, man. Like maybe I exchanged like a handful of sentences since I knew him. I mean, he had been through a lot. Um, He was like from Honduras and had, like the the most intense story that I'd ever heard. And I heard that story from his family members, but like how he had gotten here and what he had to go through to get here was just like, dude, it was horrific. So, you know, I understood, but I told him I was leaving. I was like, Hey man, I just gotta let you know, like today's our last day. Like, you know, I told you this was coming or whatever. And he like threw the blanket off and like ran across the room and like, just like started hugging me. Mm. And I was just like, so the exact opposite of what I would had could ever imagine what what would happen, you know. I was like, oh, like I didn't even know that this was in the framework of your reality, like this kind of like intensity. Yes, yeah. okay. you know what I mean. So like, so a lot of it was like stuff that happened when I was leaving, as opposed to when I was actually there. Did it fuck with you more? So like now you're, you're feeling like you're not having a connection with people. And then all of a sudden you go to leave the job and you're like, holy shit. Like, wait, I'm, I mean something to these people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, the, the whole thing was like a shock and it took me like probably like 
a year to really like understand it as best as I could, like looking back. Cause there was just like so much stuff that happened in that job and in my life where it was just kind of a blur, but, but yeah, like, but at the same time it was coupled with the feeling of like, ah, I know that I need to like keep moving on down the road. Like I need to go do something else. And so like, I knew that I was doing the right thing, but at the same time, like also being shocked of like, whoa, Wow, I really wasn't expecting that. Yeah, like that's, man, that's a hard. Well, like there's going to be tons of kids, dude, that are going to know your name for the rest of your life, for the rest of their life. Yeah. Dude, I've had a They're couple gonna... on the podcast. I had one fucking kid email me. She came on the podcast and I was like. No way. Yeah, man. Um, Caroline Breeding. Um, it's decently recent. Um, She was dealing with some sort of like serious health issue. And she, whatever, through social media finds out that I'm doing the podcast and she's like, man, I'll never forget you as a fifth grade teacher were the one person. And like, it's not like everyone wants to be like, I'm the hero or whatever. It was kind of like that for me. But she was like, you were the one that made me believe I was intelligent. Because when I did things, my writing, for some reason you loved it. And I always thought it was crap. And you tell me how stupid I was to think that I was stupid and how much you entertained. And I would look forward to writing not because I enjoyed the writing, but because I thought you would enjoy reading it. And it felt so good and it gave me confidence. And I was like, I had no idea you were that fucking shattered, dude. I thought you were like this tough kid. I knew your brother. I had taught him. I knew your mom, part of the family, right? Like like I, I had this weird vision. I had no idea you were, you had all that in you at that age. And that me just being goofy and fucking being present caring mm -hmm. taking an interest just look just look at him in the eye yeah being just like, how are you like, doing dude now and even more being like dude you're awesome like that was great stop thinking bad yeah. about yourself stupid you know like yeah. however like everyone connects in a different way with kids but like had no idea that it was that impactful man and it's um it, it's one of those things where i'm sure there's more of that but like i didn't get faced and i, I not, not to dramatize or whatever but like the kid hugging or like seeing that man it would be so it just it had to be so difficult to feel like you made the right choice i would think it would fuck with me it would fuck with me and i would it would make me be like am i making the right choice by walking away yeah there was like and i had my caseload was like probably 30 kids and i would do so there was like yeah so i would do like five one hour sessions with all of my clients and then the rest of the time was dedicated to like just filling out paperwork and <laughs> making, you know, right. Yeah. Claire, so like, I, like, yeah. So I had like a caseload of like about the 30 kids or whatever. And so, you know, some of them were like fairly apathetic to it. Um, and some, some were not, a lot of them weren't actually, there's a couple, there's a couple ones. Like I said, bye to this one kid and he just lived in like, the worst apartment, man, like just, I was, and I was in outreach. So I would go to the homes of the kids. Right. Right. So I would, I would go and see them at school and I could do like a counseling session with them at school or I could go have a session with them, uh, at their, in their home. Right. And so you're like, you're inside their home and what you see at school sometimes is not what's going on at home. Yeah. And it, I had no idea that there are many third world countries in every corner of all of our communities. 
I mean, like sometimes the inside of homes and these insular communities, it's mind bending, dude. Yeah. It's mind bending. And like, I, I remember just leaving this kid in this apartment and he was at like probably like the third floor of this subsidized housing building um, in a pretty rough part of town. And I was like walking down the road and he was like blinking his flashlight at me through the window of his home. And I was just like, for whatever reason, it just reminded me of like Morse code mm-hmm. or something where I was just like, oh, man, like I did everything I could like, fuck man. Like, hope you make it dude. How was your goodbye like, with him? Like he's blinking. Yeah, the light. I, I told him, I told him bye. And you know, I, I shook his hand and you know, he had a rough situation. His dad was abusive and he was really like not super warm to me right away, you know, because of that. Yeah. And like, I think I like kind of got to him, but I ended up just being a guy that left. Yeah. Oh dude. Yeah. And like, he was like blinking the wind, like the light in the window while I was like, kind of just like walking down the street. And at the time I smoked cigarettes. And so I was just like smoking and I was like walking out. I was like, holy shit, man. Like I did the best I could for you, bro. Like, sorry. Like there was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that where he's like, oh, I, the, what you can do is pretty limited. Yeah, that's what's crushing, man. And that's like what we remind ourselves. Teachers have to talk about it all the time. Like, even though they're like, hey, your kids are in school for eight hours. Like, yeah, they're in your class for like 60 minutes. And I think I did this math the other day. If if you have 20 kids in a class and they're in there for 60 minutes, you can give a kid one-on-one attention for every kid for three minutes. And that gives you no time to like transition to an next kid. So like, how much where you feel this weight of the world, if you actually start to like rationalize your impact, it's like, how can you really change and help someone in just three minutes? Like it, it no one would think that unless you're given CPR, <laughs> like it's, yeah. in, it, it's, it's impossible, right? Like I might be able to hit you with a, what are the heart machines? The EKG? Is that what they yeah. are? Right. Like okay, um, I can change your life in a minute and a half with that bitch. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Clear, clear. All right, man. Got you again. A third of a second. Right. But like it, it's, you feel you feel like such a fucking failure so often when you're in these professions that you, it's almost like the kid we were talking about, like sometimes you just need the wins and it's a shame when the wins don't come often enough to like, it's, it's like wood not being there in time to keep the fire going. <laughs> and you're like, just hoping you can get a log. That's a win to keep the fire burning. So you don't turn into the resentful. Don't give a fuck complacent. Let me just keep my job kind of person you know it it's a weird balance man in the social services it really is well and i don't think and i honestly truth be told that wasn't even the hardest part that wasn't the hardest part of that job and you know like dealing with the stress of someone who's like making active suicidal gestures and by me i mean like active suicidal gestures i mean like you're trying to talk someone out and not swallowing a razor blade like that that kind of thing right so like you'd think that that would be the most and like there is a come down from that like when you're driving home you're just like holy shit and you get like really bad imposter syndrome in the moment because you're like you're like there's no one else there it's just you like maybe their parents are there or whatever because you have to have like you know somebody in the room and you know third party person you know right but like you're the guy that's there to help and there's no one else to help you help them right so like you'd think like that 
would be the most stressful, but it was like, like a lot of it was when there's people in their family that were actively working against that person climbing out of the situation that they were in. Like I had this kid who had a diagnosis that came from a, a higher level clinician than myself, um, from a previous organization. I didn't know, uh, they had, uh, diagnosed him with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I think something else, like he had multiple diagnoses. Well, we were get they, when, and then when we took him on intake, we saw his medications and his medications were like really powerful antipsychotic medications that are like, those things, those things aren't a fucking game, man. Those things are super strong and they can change you and they can change you forever. Like they're, some of those things are just like the last ditch nuclear bomb resort. Well, like come to find out after working with this kid for a couple of years, the, the team that I was working on basically came to the conclusion that he didn't have schizophrenia, that his mom had doctor shopped around with clinicians and would escalate new triggers for him and would escalate poor behavior out of him. So he would exhibit symptoms that were akin to maybe something like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia and she would report things and she would triangulate and it was this really manipulative mother he didn't have schizophrenia she knew she knew that he didn't have schizophrenia but if you have certain diagnoses you get checks from the state i was gonna say so yeah then you get like the disability check Right. Or it's not and a disability so, check, but like, it, yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted you. But yeah, I, I've dealt with no. people like that. It's, it's fucked up, man. Like people find, I'm talking about manipulating systems. People will find out, hey, if my kid qualifies, like I believe if you have Down syndrome, you get some sort of like Medicaid check early to help with your care or something like that. Like you, there's payment for disabilities within systems. And it's, I, I've heard of several parents. I've had several experiences with parents who I felt, have done just that. Sorry, dude. I shouldn't have interrupted you, but like it, no. it got something to me. No. Like that's, it, it's just such a fucked up situation. It's amazing. Like both sides of the coast, both sides yeah. of the coast, that shit's happening across fucking America. That shit's happening, dude. So like, so they're like feeding his kids powerful antipsychotics. And for a year, at least I'm working on like his medication or like organizational plan. Like he doesn't want to take his medication, but we have to incentivize him to take medication that we believed at the time was in his best interest. Right. Because like, you know, we're like, Oh dude, we got to like stabilize your mood. We got to make sure that yeah. you're cool. Your emotions are manageable. And it all came from a well-intentioned place, but then you get a year into it. And then you realize that this person is duped you and you actually kind of like this, this kid, like whether or whether or not you're a professional, I don't even really care. There's a human element of you that's invested in it. I don't care what anybody says and everyone talks about like clinical terms about how you're not supposed to be like attached, blah, blah, blah. It's like what you got into this, you got into this business for a reason. It's because you're compassionate and you care about people yeah. and there's no way of separate. You can't just like compartmentalize that. Like, what are you a sociopath? Right? Yeah. Yeah. That would be completely detached. So I kind of like this kid. He's got a good taste in music and I found out that he's being abused with pharmaceutical drugs essentially. And then I, I, essentially had a hand in it you know obviously i didn't know yeah but like you, you know you kind of feel like you were a part of it some way or another yeah and uh that she's doing it for a check for like you know a measly couple hundred bucks or whatever and like 
it goes beyond that because if you know you're exhibiting those kinds of behaviors they'll put you on like contract-based education so that you can study from home well this kid's like big thing was like i want to graduate high school with my class and all of those medications were causing all of this poor behavior so they pulled him from class and he was isolated at home on a laptop mm-hmm. in an abusive home on medications that were causing him to feel crazy because that's what happens if you don't need them right. you're gonna you know you're gonna have a massive imbalance and so so it was like yeah the hardest part was like trying to fold my hands and like use reflective listening to like somebody that for all intents and purposes and i get to say this because i'm really not a part of the social services anymore but it's just like wow like it's hard like are you a monster right like that's your child like you gave birth to that like you know you care for it i mean like you know i mean assuming that you did right but like you cared for your child it's like holy shit that was the hard part was just being like you're a blood-soaked monster you're evil like you know and 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 recognizing the like what people are capable of and not even for very much just pennies and did that start influencing how you saw other people like if you met somebody did you notice you going down like the diagnosis thing versus just being open-minded towards people? No, I definitely expanded my sense of like what I thought might be going on in some of the circumstances, like working with kids where I was like, okay, like my intuition means shit in this situation. (laughs) What I think like, Oh, this person has a diagnosis. I kind of just shrug and go, maybe we'll see. Like, you know, you just try to be objective as you can with the facts that you're actually presented with you. Like third party information is kind of comes with like a grain of salt. Yeah. And the reason I laugh is because, so I'm a, I I was um, a special education teacher for like 10 years and um, they'd be like, well, check the file. And I'd be like, ah, maybe I'll check the file after I get to know the kid for like three weeks, just so that I don't go in with this bias of oh, look at these behaviors that have been documented because there may have been some sort of issue, trigger, personal vendetta, just like personality, dis, like personality um, taste that the kid was like, I just don't like that person. So like the kid will act up. And it's funny yeah. that you laugh because like they would always be like, that, well, that's kind of like nonchalant or that's kind of like, what, you, you, why are you lazy? I'm like, lazy? I'm trying to be objective. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to formulate my own opinion and then I'll go out. I don't want to have stuff come in and then formulate it, have that formulate before I meet the person. Shouldn't it be the person before the file? So yeah. that, that's why I was laughing. Cause I could, I don't know why I laugh when I connect with people, what people say, but like, I was like, that <laughs> well, was some true shit like that. I, I, I mean, like that perspective. And it, it transitions even to your, like your personal life. Like someone would be like, have you met so-and-so? And I'll be like, oh. I'll be like, Oh, have you heard this? And I'm like, so says you. <laughs> like, I don't know that person. Like when I meet, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll see what I think about him or her when I meet him, you know, yeah. but that just might be your own problem, dude. I don't know. I don't know this person. Uh, and it's like, how many times have I been the villain in somebody's story? Like, oh uh, yeah, right. You, you know what I mean? Like, like life is messy and people are complicated, man. Yeah. Like walking to a catch, room 
motherfuckers judging you and you're just like, wait, dude, I haven't done anything to you. I'm sorry that you're whatever your cousin or some colleague or some friend at some point had some opinion about me. Like that yeah. might've just been a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And exactly. It's like, you know, people aren't always like who they are, even in like small periods of their life. Like I wouldn't like choose to define like my character or my being by like being an addict for a period of my life. Like I'm not like I'm Dallas, the addict, right. like, like even now, like I'm like no, I'm like Dallas the martial artist. Like I'm like dad, like Dallas the super dad. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like I'm like I am who I am in this moment, and like to like characterize people. And it's like oh, you saw like some side of this person that might be brief, and then all of a sudden you're gonna like use that to be like oh, like I'm gonna consolidate this person's character into like this yeah. one moment. That's and it's label. like dude, you can do that to anybody. Yeah. You can do that to anybody. And you don't really know that person. You don't even know why they were acting that way. How did, did the counseling aspect. So me being a teacher has made me scared to death of not being a good father for my kid. Fuck yeah. And like failing her in some way. And I'm just wondering what that counseling, that intense counseling would do to you as a new father. And that was your first child, right? Yeah, yeah. At that time. So dude, right away, that's like uncharted territory of like, everything's a mistake. <laughs> Everything, this child's going to perish, right? Like any fever, you're flipping the fuck out. Any cry that you can't soothe, you're flipping the fuck out. So like now I'm wondering how much did that influence your dad life having a job like that when you just had a new baby? Well, like, I guess in context of counseling, when you asked me that, I was thinking about what you're saying and what you're saying is that you were really worried about your kid. And it's like, bad parents don't do that. So they don't worry about their kids, man. They worry about going to the bar. Right. Or like, you know, whatever TV program's on, they won't even like, they'll just yell at their kid from halfway across the room, dude, and they will never give up. You know, they'll never get up. So like when I hear that, like from the counseling perspective, I like hear what you said and I'm like, oh, this is a person that actually is a good parent. They're like worried. Like it keeps them up at night and they're probably going to do something about it if they like, Oh, mandatory. you know, if they see a hole in the game and they're like, okay, we got to like figure this out, Dude. you know, or so there, there's a couple of parenting. There's a couple um dads that I'm with and we wanted to get uh t-shirts. Um, so it's dads that I work with and it's like, dads get shit done. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, sometimes cool. like you see the fucking need and it's like, Oh, you didn't do your homework. I'm not going to yell at you for 10 minutes. Grab your books, sit down. You're doing it right now. You know yeah, why? Yeah. Dad gets shit done. Did I tell you to do your homework? Yeah, cool. Get it done. No, yeah. no, I'm not leaving. I'm gonna make sure you get it done. <laughs> like it's getting done and I'm watching. Yeah. So like, it, it's just different aspects. Like now I'll sit here and watch you brush your teeth. I don't think mm-hmm. you brush your teeth. You don't want me yeah. to watch you brush your teeth. All right, then make sure I feel like you brush your teeth when you, your breath should not be smelling like Doritos after you yeah. just said you brushed your teeth. Those things don't go together. We have mint toothpaste, not yeah. ranch. So yeah, like it is, thank you for saying that, but that's true, man. Like it really, it really worries me. But I think part of why I worry is like, I can see some of these consequences and you start to get like stereotypes or stereotypes for a reason. There are commonalities, there are theories. And like, it, it overwhelmed me being exposed to a school system. And I think I taught for like five years, maybe four before I had my child. So I had like three, four years of influence where I saw kids and then I have my kid and she turns two and I'm like, what do I need for you to not 
fall into that like category, that label to deal with this difficulty? What, what, what can I give you that maybe these kids didn't have that I've learned that might help you? Cause I don't want you to experience this. So there's that, a couple, there's a, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Well, I was trying to turn it back to you. Cause again, I could just ramble, but like, that was one of those things where I was wondering <laughs> it, the teaching's not as intense as the counseling you're talking about. So that's where like I mind fuck myself and I'm like, I couldn't imagine the like what I would have done to myself as a caring dad and what that would have done to me as a father. Like I, I'd be so paranoid. Well, granted she was an infant. So it was just like, you know, all of the care was just like, you know, when you have a child, it's like you can't look like a baby. You can't look away for like a third of a second. So I really wasn't like worried about the environment or the condition that my kid was in just by the nature of like how young she was. Gotcha. Cause I was like, I know exactly what my baby's doing. She's laying like on like, you know, she's laying in my arms or like I set her down on the sofa and she's just staring at the ceiling. Right. But like, I think what freaked me out the most is that if a person's being honest with themselves, they'll find out that they're capable of, of heroic and amazing and altruistic acts, but they're also capable of doing the exact opposite. And if anyone tells you that they're not capable of doing A, B, or C, they don't know themselves. Hmm. They don't know what they're capable of and they don't know. They, they're the veneer of civilized life has hypnotized them into thinking that there's something that they're not there and and everybody is capable of doing something really crazy and when i was looking at these parents and i was looking at the people that were responsible for a lot of the situations that the kids were in sometimes it was by accident it was genetic or that they you know didn't have that same structure themselves right they were perpetuating problems subconsciously um but what freaked me out is if instead of putting myself in the hero's role and like feeling like this, like righteous sense of indignation or that I was going to be like Jesus Christ, like super rock star, like partying in clouds and like saving everybody. Like I would think about like, Oh, how would I end up doing something like they did? Like, how would I do that? Like, what am I doing right now that could like, I could accidentally incrementally fall back into a behavior that would perpetuate that same thing. Mm. And it's actually way closer than people think. Like if, if you follow a negative thought or like, or resentment specifically in my case, personally resentment, if you follow that shit far enough, it'll take you straight to hell. It'll take you straight to hell and it'll take everybody that you love. with them. If you take it far enough, so me, I like to be, and kids get on me about this all the time. They're like, Mr. O'Grady, we had no idea you were this violent. Cause I like to be stupidly hyperbolic violent. And I blame it on cartoons. Like I think of like Bugs Bunny and the road runner. I'll be like, dude, mm-hmm. if you do not get quiet, I'm gonna get a stick of dynamite. I'm going to tie you somewhere. I'm going to fling you into the air. And then as you fall down, I'm going to have you land on this dynamite with a piece of match in your mouth. And like, you just tell this stupid story and they're like, you're so freaking twisted, dude. And I'm like, or you could have just listened the first time I said, be quiet. Like, what do you want to do? Like we're into telling stories, right? Like I got to make it a thing. But like, I'm curious, what do you mean where if you follow the negative? Because now I'm like, 
am I that kind of person? Am I super negative? Well, it's like, think about if you have like a resentful thought. Um, Got it in my head. And right you now. Res- <laughs> and you resent, yeah. Not towards and, you, but I can and, think of like the thing that I'm like, oh no, resenting, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, everybody, I think to some degree, has felt resentful, resentment, or can you know think back to a time where they have, right? And if it's like, if you watered that plant long enough, what would it turn into? Uh, like, if you kept that shit and it made you feel comfortable, and you like kept it in your closet, how long would it take till it outgrew your closet? until it was like this thing that has taken over your life because you're feeling it it. and it becomes your subconscious driver for whatever decisions that you make in the future and i see what you're saying and it'll and not only do you suffer like massively and uh, uh, and you know it's an imaginary problem a lot of times that you've like created and you've turned it into like an actual reality that's like manifesting itself in the real world you know, through you, like you're some sort of like tuning fork for it, like <laughs> that you're like, you're bringing it into this world from this imaginary place in your subconscious. But like, but like people don't get there one giant leap. It's like people that are like on heroin. They don't just like wake up one day and go, you know what sounds really great? Nodding off on fucking first Avenue in the rain, you know, being homeless. That sounds like, like I want to do heroin. It's like they do it like one small step at a time right. until they like, they look up and they're like, what the fuck happened? Like, I'm in hell. Like my life sucks. And so it's the same, same, same with, you know, somebody who has, you know, malice in their heart. Like how far does it go? Man, dude, I, I do not. I'm so happy I'm getting to talk to you because I've never looked at it that way from the perspective of how could my negative thoughts take me to that place? Yeah, maybe I do have a lot of irrational confidence in myself because I, I think you're right, man. Like if you perseverate on that shit, then like even on that, like what you're saying, subconscious level, like it's going to affect your decision making at some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like it and like huh. like say like for instance, like I've never been married, but be it, being a person that has been in long-term relationships, like if – if your like partner like leaves stuff in the sink and every time you wake up in the morning you hate seeing have stuff in the sink right and then you start to like slowly just like resent that person just a little bit mm-hmm. just for the sink you can actually like if you're not really vigilant that sink could turn into your whole life that shit could turn and you could like hate that person because it would turn into all aspects like oh they never fucking pick up towels so now the sink is now in the bathroom floor and then somehow you're connecting it to a memory that happened 10 fucking years ago yeah and and becomes like your entire life and then all of a sudden as a consequence of that what irrational and and terrible behaviors could be directed at that person like oh yeah i'm not gonna like vacuum out their car on my way home like fuck them (laughs) dude do these god um oh man you froze for a moment there hopefully you come back in a second or so i don't know i think the wi-fi might have crashed i don't know what's going on it happens man believe it or not um i've it's something funny even just dealing with uh people 
I've had people on from like Spain and Australia, fucking thunderstorms occur. You know what I'm saying? Like there's always something with these. Well, there's usually something with these things. Earbuds go out and there's a weird thing. But thanks for coming back on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just had to switch you up to the cell phone. Oh, now I'm going to eat the hell out of all your data, huh? No, you're good, man. (laughs) Unlimited plan. Oh, yeah. Got to. Yeah, um, I, I'm so scared of my girl. She right now is like straight Wi-Fi chick, and um, it's it's amazing, man. She'll be out and um, she'll take her phone with her because she'll whatever. We'll go like shopping. She want to like take pictures of something or whatever. She's a kid, and she gets home and she connects to Wi-Fi, and that fucking thing is like ding 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 ding. ding. It's like she's going to a <laughs> casino, and like we, I look at your her notifications, and it's like telling you man this thing is addicting like that right there is how they hook you you know i'm like shiloh don't be that kid man you know like we gotta put it down and it's i don't know it's it makes me worry about like what the data is gonna i couldn't imagine somebody with limited data and a teen at this point in their lives because the way they do videos and the way they like spam each other and text each other there's no way there's no way to yeah be limiting like that's going to just be like an inevitable consequence of our like technological revolution. Like it really sounds kind of strange, but like your phone is like, just because it's not attached to you doesn't mean that it's not like a part of you in some way or another. Attached to you. People feel for it. And like people go for it, dude. You can see people's fingers twitching. Oh yeah. Well, and it's just like, I think I heard Elon Musk like basically make the argument like when they were talking about Neuralink. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard about Neuralink. Oh yeah, I've heard him when he comes on um, Joe Rogan's podcast. But yeah, this is like oh, we're like we're gonna make superhumans and like heal people's brains and like they're gonna have like real time footage of every memory they've ever had and they can like relive experiences and sensations and like all this stuff. Like I don't know. Like, it seems like it's good. It's just going to happen. And that like, a but he made the, he made the case that like, we're already like cybernetic human organisms as it is, um, with us and our, where we're at technologically and the fact that we have a cell phones, but it's just the only thing that it's not, is actually like a part of our organism. Yeah. We in, feel in a like, way, that yeah, way. We feel like the phone, we can remove ourselves if we want to, where the neural link would be implanted like that. That's basically the last, well, I guess the sensory integration, but they're trying to get there with all the VR as well. Isn't that a warm feeling? Yeah, we could, we could just separate ourselves from technology whenever we want to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, think about how many people like use Apple Pay. They wouldn't be able to like pay for the groceries. They don't know where their billing services are coming from. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. You know, like people's emails are their lives. Dude, you know, their social media, like phone numbers, man. Just, I was thinking about this the other day. Like if I didn't have my fucking contacts, how many phone numbers do I know? When I was a kid, man, I used to have like 38, 40 phone numbers memorized. Like 20 were the girls that I was just sweating all the time. You know what I'm saying? But like, I always Mm -hmm. knew the phone numbers I wanted to dial. And you look at the keypad and you'd be like, beep, 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 boop. And like, how many phone numbers do people have memorized me might be three and one of them's mine <laughs> right like if you're if your car craps out on you on the side of the road and you don't have your phone 
like there's no pay phone yeah. like you're like like the it'd be it's way harder to deal with things manually than it used to be and it's like it's that way across everything like and that's why i've always thought about like um electromagnetic pulse you know like you know like a solar flare or something right. like knockout technology i mean people wouldn't just like go back to like what they were doing before all this like since like before 2000 like oh yeah we're gonna dial the hands back like 20 years like all this stuff is necessary now yeah dude that'd be interesting like man what would fuck so i i lost my wallet for like three hours right and i so i don't have my credit card don't have my debit card don't have my id got my car keys and I started like looking around and I'm like, so I got like, I have a five gallon water jug where if I needed money, I probably got like $90 and change. I found $8 in my Jeep in cash and I have an expired passport. Cool. I was like, yep. if I didn't find that fucking thing, I'm like, do I just take off three days? I have my laptop. I can try to like figure shit out. I got some checks I could write. Hopefully no one asked me for ID to cash them. Right. And then I can try Wait, to get some uh, cash. A check? What's that? Right. Yeah, dude. Right. Like, you, could you imagine going to a store and being like, yeah, I'd like to pay with a check? Like, so Would I'm like thinking. Accept, I don't even know if people accept it anymore. I don't. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think people. I don't even think people accept them. They definitely don't have those checkbooks that fucking balance that shit out. And I like that. I used to get annoyed at people who would balance out their checkbook. I'm like, dude, it's fucking 2010. Why are you balancing your checkbook? And that was like 12 years ago. But it, it's trippy when like that experience happened to me. It was a little bit of an awakening of like, wow, I'm very like wallet dependent. But the reason I'm wallet dependent is because I'm technologically dependent. Like I'm dependent on Google letting me into all my fucking sites. And I'm dependent on this belief when I put this card into a machine, the numbers I see on a screen are valid. And a solar flare, a fucking bug, a, a Russian spy, whoever, right? could easily wipe that shit out. Well, maybe not easily, well, but it's, could. It's, it's, yeah, well, I mean, like, it is kind of crazy, like, what we've, what we've seen, I guess, like, culturally, like, cancel culture, it seems like, has, like, started to blossom into, like, a, a bigger machine. Like, if you think about it, we just, like, our entire country and, like, the Western world just canceled Russia. <laughs> like, we canceled a country. And like all these financial and banking institutions and all this stuff, like they just shut everything off. And like I'm not saying that not they only shouldn't shut have, it off, dude. Fucking snatched it. Was like, yo, we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, like I, and I'm not saying making a case that they shouldn't have because I think Putin's like a, a despotic, you know, authoritarian nightmare dictator. But at the same time, it is kind of freaky to think that they can just shut shit off when they want to. They, you can do it to a whole country, like you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and how much your your life, and then like maybe, maybe it, you know, maybe not the consequence of you know some cabal of like elites like shutting your shit off, but at the same time, like just the fact that it can be shut off, or that things can happen like a solar flare or something, and our lives are becoming more and more inextricably linked to the digital world, so much that you know like getting things done in the real world is becoming progressively harder like i mean you can't go find a payphone anywhere you know what i mean like yeah. like 
if you go to a gas station, they might not even have a landline. They don't even like build houses with landlines in them anymore. <laughs> There's no landlines in new homes. Yeah. Like just weird stuff like that, you know, where it's like, you know, everyone's going to be driving Tesla cars. Like no one's going to know how to fix a car. Yeah. That's another thing. You know? right? Even if you didn't know, you could just like knock on your, your like neighbor Larry's door and be like, Larry, I think it's the alternator. Right. You know, how do you put that like, on blank? Yeah. And we've gotten accustomed to like having appliances and stuff that are like cheaply made in China. So when they break, we just throw them out and get a new one. Like back in the day, it was like your toaster broke. Like your dad would like go in there and be like, well, it's like a couple of springs and it's yeah. an element. And, and a heating coil. Well, you know, we go to the hardware store. We'll make it a Saturday, yeah. Jim. Let's go. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, my toaster doesn't connect to my iPhone anymore, dad. It's like, well, it was 30 bucks and made overseas. Just fucking throw it away. Hey, Alexa. We'll get another one. Put a, Alexa, order a, order a toaster. Thank you. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I was worried that she would hear you. <laughs> that's funny i i actually just got alexa's like it was it's kind of sad but uh i got one because my grandma had covid and she was in the retire in a retirement home she passed away um but i got her like my folks got an alexa for her because we like couldn't go into the retirement home and so like we made it so that she could just drop in you know because they have like a drop-in thing where it's like oh drop in on dallas and then you could like see me cooking in the kitchen like oh hey grandma you know okay like like talk to her and feel like she kind of had like a little bit of normal experiment experience you know like she could still talk to people and like socialize and stuff and so like uh like it's really cool that technology like provides us that and you know, it seems to be really valuable, obviously. Like, it allowed me to spend time with my grandma on the, you know, back half of her life. But at the same time, like, it totally freaks me out, man. Like, I, I've unplugged it, like, half a dozen times. I don't, I don't let my kid watch it, you know? Like... Really? It... What, what know, do you freak man. out about? Uh, I don't know. Well, first and foremost, like, if you say her name, which I can't say right now, she's always listening. Right. Which kind of like freaks me out. And also, like, again, that our lives are becoming inextricably linked with the technological world with like this pseudo reality that we've created, like this fantasy. Like, I mean, you already kind of see with social media, like you can be like an avatar. Like you can like pick your like presence and like how you want to present your right. yourself and you can like reanimate your face. And if you don't like who you are, and then you can just be this avatar version of yourself in the digital world yeah, rather well, than like and on top of it, accepting man, the filters. So even if you mm -hmm. post your genuine self, it's not your genuine self. Yeah. And so it's like, then I hear about all this stuff with like, you know, you see Oculus and then you see the metaverse like starting to take shape. And then you see people like buying digital real estate and like NFTs where like, not only like do you have digital real estate that's actually worth it's like actually worth something you can like have all of these novelty objects that you buy and put in your home like you're like people are like it seems like such a novelty and it seems so stupid but it seems like the logical outcome is that like people are going to live in the digital world yes yeah, so and like did you hear zuckerberg on um lex friedman's podcast no, I didn't. Oh yeah, man. So he was on there for like two hours and dude, what? He yeah. was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, um, I'm behind on Lex. 
Okay. Yeah. So I don't listen to him as often as I do Joe Rogan. Um, cause he's way too smart. It's easy. Not that Rogan's not smart, but it, it's harder for me to keep up with Lex cause he gets very techno like technologically centered. Cause I guess that's his lane. Um, and it's, <clears throat> it, it's difficult, but when Zuckerberg went on, they got into this thing about the metaverse and how people could live there and how the commerce and how are you going to earn money and like avatars. So if you bought a shirt for you, but now you turn yourself into a dragon, does that digital shirt now apply to your dragon or do you have to buy a new digital shirt for your, for your dragon? And could you see people's discretionary income in real life going towards their digital lives more so than their real lives. Cause the more time you spend in a digital world, what do you need with your clothes that you go out with? So now you only have like three outfits and they're all like athleisure. So you're relaxing and you're really worried about having like expensive looking suits or Jordans or whatever on a digital scale. So now you're going to find the Ferrari of cars in digital land. And that's what you're going to drive around in while you have, whatever, a Kia in your driveway because you don't need it as much. And it was tricky yeah. as hell to hear, but like it really makes sense because that's where you would prioritize your time. That's where you want to be. Yeah. I think that there's going to be like a lot of people that don't feel like they amount to anything in the actual world and then just decide to throw all of their chips into the, the tech world um, and just be like, well, if I'm not, if I don't like who I am here, I can be anything to anyone anywhere else. Well, that's the part. So then if it's, if you can be, or if it's really based on connecting, like how can you not be your genuine self? So if the metaverse truly comes in and I forget exactly what it was. Most people aren't. What do you mean? Even in the real world. Oh, you said, how can you not be your genuine self? I said, most people aren't even in the real world. You don't it's not much of a step in a tech in the tech world, man, I think people kid themselves. I really struggle with that, man. Like I, it, it, I'm sorry, and I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no but it, it's it's. Well, I guess it is another fork in the road, um, conversationally. But like that's something, man. You really like? Is that one of your? If you had to go fifty fifty, so you have to pick a side. Do you think most people aren't genuinely who they actually are? Uh, or it is such a small portion of that person and in light of all the things that they haven't uncovered can hardly constitute for their actual full self. <coughs> like you can't see the tip of an iceberg and be like, Oh, look at that little tip. And then like not have the realization of what's below it. And what's actually below it is like a giant mountain that's surfacing to through the water. You know what I mean? So, so like, like, oh, I is... think I'm this like little tiny thing, but I'm just this massive, bigger structure, this unrealized structure. And I haven't even really brought that forth into the world. And I haven't like really manifested all the positive things that can like affect your actual external reality. Hmm. Does that make sense? I'm trying to make it make sense. Well, I'm trying to like compare it to an example. So have you been around and I'm not asking you to like talk shit on somebody, but like, have you 
been around somebody where you discovered you were initially introduced to the tip and of the iceberg <laughs> you were initially introduced to the tip that's like me being around middle schoolers all day one one dude at out fucking track practice today was like hey hey man no. I, I, I like the long jump i like the long jump and it's like okay dude, yeah. you get it like whatever okay um, I was, we yeah. don't have to worry jesus um <laughs> but that's that's where my one when i was like yeah so you were exposed to the iceberg tip of someone, but then you got to know the bottom part. Yeah, there's like a whole <laughs> substructure. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like trying hard to think of the example. Isn't that just like getting to know? It's not them being genuine or in disingenuous, isn't it? Just like the nature of building a relationship is you get to discover more about people the more you spend time with them. Like okay, so take for example, I follow this person on social media and who will remain nameless but they're obsessed with their car right and all they do is take pictures of their car and they put it on social media which is fine like if you're like a car nut you're a motorhead you like to talk about like parts putting things together but it's really like kind of distinctly different for that for this person like this car is this person's identity right and so they have like this very surface level of what they think that they are that's being somehow reflected by their material goods, but mm. isn't actually themselves. But they believe that that tiny little acquisition, that material object is their identity. But that's not who they really are. They're not a Tesla or whatever car they have. They're like this whole complicated person. And like if they either by choice or by accident only identify as this one narrow aspect of you know, who or what they are, it's dependent on an object. It's not actually who they are. Hmm. And they're kidding themselves. If you think that you're, you know, you're not, what's the fight club quote? Like you're not your fucking khakis, you know, you're not your house, you're not your mortgage, you're not your car, yeah. you're not your job. Right. Yeah. So that's... it's kind of like, yeah, there's some unrealized people. I guess that's kind of assuming though that like, the social media is them versus them being them. So like in an essence, you're already in the metaverse with that, right? Cause you're judging oh, yeah. them based I'm in there on, with them. right? You're like you're judging them based on the social media aspect. Sure. But it, it, it certainly is like, it's coming from a choice of how somebody wants to portray themselves in one way or another, mm. you know, hmm. or what they think is most important. Right. I mean, like, if you were, like, constantly, like, if you were constantly posting about, like, one, like, it's, like, how you want to be perceived to other people. Yeah. And if you want to just be perceived by this one narrow aspect, like, sometimes, sometimes that's actually just not, like, self-awareness. Like, you actually think, so I think some people actually think that they are, like, this thing, rather than just being, like, this is what I want to portray myself as. Uh, yeah, right. See, for me, and not to like the it, line is really thin. It's, I guess, like the self awareness line. I, I, I wonder about that too. Um, just from social media, like I didn't get on social media till I started the podcast during COVID, and it's something I've struggled with and had people tell me because at first I would just post shit about the podcast. They're like, "Dude, everyone's gonna think you're a bot. Like, you have to be a person on social media." And I'm like, "Well, I, I don't like." 
I'm not the dude that's like, hey, let me send this selfie out all the fucking time kind of a thing. Let me update my status. Let me, let me, whatever, I guess it's docs or maybe not docs, but just fucking overwhelm. But there's like a balance of, for me, it's like, well, what do you want to portray that you have in common with people that could spark conversations versus Mm -hmm. does anybody really want to fucking care about this aspect of me on social media? Isn't that more of a, hey, if you actually... Like if I'm going to see you, if we're going to spend time together, but then at the same time, what is time engagement? It could be on social media and maybe I'm wrong to not post stupid shit of like the wine I want to select for this podcast with you. Oh, <laughs> like, Hey, I'm going to have a podcast yeah. with a guy. So I spend a little bit of time thinking about what would be a cool little wine to sip. Do I want to go Pinot Noir? Do I want to go cab? What region am I going with? Like, should that's part of me. Should that have been something I displayed? Am I fake for not? having displayed that like that does kind of i don't know it's interesting you bring it up because that does fuck with me like what do you i as an individual want to post who's like i don't enjoy social media a ton i feel awkward on it because i'm old you know like i i I didn't grow up i avoided it i i just wanted to be with people i didn't want to be with social media i noticed this like really curious phenomenon because i was like really not that active on social media for a really long time um where i'd like kind of just like sparsely post to my feed and like now i post my stories all the time because of kind of just like a personal revelation about how what i had what i think social media is or what how i could use it to my advantage as opposed to just being like a you know a victim you know another like hypnotized person that's not living in the real world just like staring at a screen all the time right um but I noticed this really weird phenomenon when I started posting in my stories, how it affected my actual real interactions with other people. Because like people subconsciously, like they see all your posts and they're like, oh, like this is a guy that like spends a lot of time with his family. So all of a sudden they're treating you like a family man uh... and not as just like this guy at work or like, you know, I didn't used to like post a lot about like combat sports or whatever, but then when people saw, started noticing how much I'm training in my stories and like what I do and like how seriously I take it. And as a tool of self-actualization, I'm not actually like a super active fighter or whatever. Um, but then I started noticing that people would treat me different based on that, where it was like, I'm still the same guy that you knew a week ago but now you've just seen what I'm doing behind the scenes. And all of a sudden that seemed to be almost more important in some people's minds than who I've been in real life to that person. You don't think that's just them discovering more like them seeing more of your iceberg. You just giving them more of the iceberg, baby. That's all you're doing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Sometimes you just got to lay that iceberg on things. Sometimes you just got to ram them with the iceberg. But like, it not that like, like, why is that a negative? Or are you worried about like, that's a pigeonhole? Uh, I think that like, maybe like, like how I decided that I was going to start using it was as like an accountability tool. Because like, Uh, I'm, I'm actually nervous. I used to be like, I used to be like really like I cared about what everyone thought about me like all the time. Like I was hyper paranoid. I wanted everyone to like me. I would be anything to anyone to anybody at any point really, just so that this person would like me. Oh my God. It was so terrible. I was such, 
it was so pathetic in retrospect. It's so, and I understand where it came from and like that it came from like a good place of liking people, but also came like, I was putting everybody on a pedestal not like recognizing my own power as a person or like always wanting to ask to be at the seat of the table for an, like with another person rather than just building my own hmm. and then inviting people at my table and being like, I built my own shit and this is mine now rather than just like, you know, like trying to get attention or admiration or respect or, or something. And it was like really counterproductive. But I kind of used it as like an accountability tool. Like, okay, this is the person that I want to be. This is the person that I want to see in the world. And I can put it out there and I can go back and reflect like, oh, I'm this guy. I'm this guy that wakes up early and does shit that he doesn't want to do because he knows it's important for the people that are around him. And so I, what I was like trying to do was reflect the actual daily wins that I'm getting and trying to like actually portray, you know, the struggle or something that resembles or something that you can tell is difficult um, in pursuit of something like higher, as opposed to being like, I don't feel like this person or I, I know what other people want me to be. So I'm going to like emulate what everyone else is doing as best as I can and be a part of like this, like this, like weird blob where everyone's just kind of like reflecting each other and like really losing their truest self in it. And it seems like, like how many times do people post shit for likes? And it's just like, like social recognition. It's like in a lot of ways. And like, people don't even realize that they'll like, they'll change their behavior or modify their behavior in the world, real world to get like weird accolades in the digital one. Hmm. They'll actually like transform who they are and they don't even know what's happening because they, it's like, and it's like how, how much of like the awesome and cool and eccentric weird shit that people pull off that like we look back as being the greats would never like, ever win at social media like would van gogh really would have won on social media like maybe like you would think his like medium the capitalist in me says he would because that's fucking cream of the crop right like that's the market yeah and that's like that would be the viral because isn't it special like wouldn't edgar Allan poe fucking reading like edgar Allan poe by the fire recording himself reading some poems and putting that shit out there like that's gonna hit. People are but, gonna listen, right? But even he wasn't even he wasn't even successful in his life. And he wrote for a newspaper. Yeah. So he would like write his stories in a newspaper and people didn't even really seem to care too much about it until it was after he was dead. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like that I mean, people there's like I mean, then what if Van Gogh, for whatever reason, was like, you know what, like fuck these paintings. Whenever I post a selfie with the dog ears. Like everyone seems to like really appreciate uh, that. I see your point. And then maybe so, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they may not even be like, they might not even be like conscientiously making that decision. It's just like, they're just getting like that fix. Or, and I don't know a ton about like Van Gogh or even I, maybe I'm thinking now more of Picasso. Cause I'm like, Picasso's, wasn't he like the blue period and cubism and like just different phases. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. if they build a brand musicians go through this shit, right? Like if you build a brand, do you, how much do you want to vary from it? Because that's what you're known for. So I see your point mm -hmm. because if you found success on something, would you then branch out to something else? If you got that immediate dopamine hit of 
this is awesome. You're amazing. Or you put something out there that you think is really cool and it's got like two likes and that values you or you value that. And now it's like, well, that's obviously not cool. Never do that again. And then all of a sudden, Michelangelo is not putting a dude in a circle and a square. And you're like, oh, that was a bad choice. You should have done it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's like some of some of my favorite stuff that I've ever like, you know, just for fun, like made or put out on social media. You like usually that like people don't aren't like into it, and I'm like, no, that's the coolest thing I've done. <laughs> like that's the coolest like doing a slow mo video of like, you know, I don't know like roasting coffee or something, but it's not like me on a canyon, you know, with like my shirt off. Like I just ran up this fucking mountain and look at this view or whatever, you know what I mean? Like me, 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 I, I, I. Look at me with my friends, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's all like very just self-validating behavior through other people's perceived admiration i suppose it seems like a weird love-hate relationship with social media the more people i talk to um especially people who are like i don't know what you are i don't know what i am if it's like metacognitive or aware it's not like woke but it's woke I, i don't know man but it seems like people who can enjoy and appreciate the good aspects of social media are very fearful of it and its power, which makes me wonder like, why are they on it? But at the same time, without social media, I'm not chatting with you. I'm not chatting with a bunch of cool motherfuckers. Like I've discovered from Delaware during COVID. Dude, I know. Right. Like, so you found me on the, the, the Jocko comments. Okay. But like, there's one person that I met in Jocko's comments that I just randomly started just talking to. It's like probably one of my best friends now. Really? Not kidding. Yeah. Like I talk to this person like every day. Like you live near them or just internet nope. talking? Nope. No, like kind of a strange story, but like very synchronistic. But this person like lives all the way across the country. And I just started talking to him in our minds and we're just, I guess we're on a similar like quote unquote frequency or whatever. <laughs> but like, yeah, I know. Right. Like, I gotta recharge my crystals or something. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, like people, I don't, you know, birds of a feather flock together. I don't see why they wouldn't in a digital space either. You know? Yeah. And that's the point of like the people being paranoid about the algorithm. Well, like, isn't the algorithm kind of maybe a little self-reflective mirror and showing you what you're into more so than influencing you to be something you're not? What if it's revealing yeah. who you are? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like that makes me think oh, yeah. of the birds of a feather flock together. That's all the fucking algorithm is. And like if a bunch of shit comes up on my post, isn't it? Because that's what I'm into. Well, and I, I intentionally did that because like I didn't really have a lot of good like influences around me. And I thought that like it was really cool. Was, YouTube actually sucks more of my time than anything else, really, to be honest with you. Because I can just like sit there and be like, I wonder what a nuclear physicist is thinking today. Huh. Like, okay can go find a podcast. Hmm, I wonder what a Tibetan monk is thinking today. Going to find a podcast for that too. Like there's some guy in like the mountains, like, yeah, doing an interview, you know? And it's kind of, that's, that's wild to me. And like, I've like reached out to people that are like, you know, they don't always respond, but like sometimes I have a question about like foreign policy and I like literally IG messaged a congressperson and they're like, they responded like, and that's wild, man. Yeah. That's wild. And so that, you know, in that term, in that term, it's just like pretty cool. But like, I, I intentionally did that at one point, like just like 
trying to consume positive content, things that are useful to me and like being places on the internet where there's other people that are being positive. Because if like, you can't have that in your real world, like you might as well just find that like, you know, at least surround yourself with something positive when you are on your phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's been useful. That's been cool. Um, yeah. But it, it is kind of, it is concerning. It's up in the air what's going to happen with social media. Like I heard the other day, like someone told me, someone said, I don't remember who said it. And I don't know if it was in a conversation or not, but <laughs> someone said like, uh, if aliens came to earth, they wouldn't congratulate us for overcoming the nuclear bomb. They would, they would congratulate it congratulate us for overcoming social media and the xbox <laughs> and it's it's true because like we can just willingly walk into something that you know really doesn't isn't really conducive for us you know you need a garden that's what you need and a heavy bag that's just my opinion <laughs> yeah dude so i'll take the workout the fucking monotony of gardening and just the maybe it's just because i i've never done it it i i I get the aspect of like, that's something in our roots. That's how we grew up. That's like how we evolved. We needed a food source. So like being in control of a basic food source is a really fucking valuable skill. Like motherfucker, you better be able to hunt or you better be able to garden. And ideally you can do both, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that's the point. Right. And then the third thing is the working out so you can physically take care of yourself in a situation you got to protect. Like the, all those are real basic, like, I don't know, non-societal survival methods. All that to say gardening, I can't, I just zero desires to spend that kind of time, energy and effort into figuring that shit out, man. Yeah. I, I recently got a greenhouse book. I've been looking into these systems called aquaponic systems. I don't know if you're like, like I kind of like I kind of like the idea. I think I'm just over romanticizing something in my head. Like, you know, like having like my outdoor dojo with like my garden and stuff. I'm like, uh, like the mast. Yeah, yeah. Like I got my Miyagi doll or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, like like my little slice of whatever. So I like maybe I'm just over romanticizing it, but also like being in martial arts and stuff. I've just like gotten into like nutrition and stuff like that. Like having a self sustaining food source would be really cool like have you ever have you ever heard of aquaponic systems um hydroponic yes aquaponic i want to say i've (laughs) seen i've seen videos of like salmon that live somewhere and then you're growing like lettuce above them so that the roots are growing in water not soil so thinking that's such a cool idea to me it really is um (laughs) because it's like wow that's I, I I don't know why it's cool, but at the same time, it's just like, maybe because you don't see it all the time. You're like, that's pretty fucking neat. Yeah. And I think maybe it's just been the bug in the back of my head because like, you know, there's been some stores that are like out of stuff and like things are like a little questionable, you know, things are a little dicey right now on the world stage. And I'm not like some alarmist that's like, we're not going to be able to eat. Oh my Dude. God. But like, it, you know, it was a real fucking, fucking feeling, man. Like I remember going to COVID. It was the first time in my life. Like I went to the grocery store and first world problems, like a motherfucker. Like I'm, I'm used to being like, all right, so I'm going to make breaded chicken breast 
with oven roasted potatoes and carrots tonight. And I'd make that fucking decision at 9.30 in the morning, right? And I'd get off work at 3. And on the way home, I'm going to the grocery store. And I always get chicken, breadcrumbs, salt, pepper, eggs. I always find my broccoli. I always find my carrots. I always find the potatoes. Cayenne pepper, never a fucking problem. And my cart's there. And going to the store with COVID when it was like, I don't know what meat's going to be here. Like, I just got to get whatever type of meat I can get was trippy as hell, man. And I had to fight the urge in myself to not hoard and like rely on. And dude, I, I live in a, within a seven mile radius. I've probably got, actually, I'll say within a 20 minute drive, I could probably hit 23 grocery stores, like food sources, like groceries, not like McDonald's, whatever, but like gets groceries. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I still felt like vulnerable in the moment that like I couldn't get chicken breast on demand when I walked into a grocery store. And it's a, it was a horrible feeling, dude. It was so fucking weird. So yeah, what's your well, saying? It harkens, it, uh, it harkens back to that point where you're talking about tech, like doing everything manually is so foreign to us. It's get, yeah, right. Like when it was like, have you ever butchered a chicken, man? No, oh, dude, I, I probably like wouldn't it doesn't. Eat. I probably wouldn't eat if I did. Right, like I, like I, it's like it's at some point like you you take for granted going to a grocery store so much and like purchasing a chicken that a chicken doesn't even really like register as being an actual chicken. No, you're disconnected. Like that, that it was an actual animal. Like you're completely disconnected from it entirely. When's the last time you drove by a lamb and thought, I can't wait to eat that bitch? No, you're like, oh, it's cute. I'll pet you. Like yeah. people do fucking goat yoga. Like you, like yeah. in, in Jamaica, that's dinner, man. You're, you're not fucking. Maybe, I'm an, maybe an asshole. Maybe I'm an asshole. It does cut cross my mind like does it man <laughs> rack, rack of lamb and a new coat looks pretty fucking good man <laughs> looks pretty good bro <laughs> but right i don't know i do i do have a little different perspective i mean we're we're like in a somewhat metropolitan area but they say spokane is like near nature and you're perfect so like i can be in like the heart of downtown and i can walk like 10 minutes and be on like a river that's like completely secluded and uh, see like a moose and like a blue herring Gotcha. So like, so I have like kind of been kind of close to that kind of stuff, you know, like I knew families, I would butcher chickens and stuff like that. But like, even still, like, even growing up around that, like, kind of like around the, the kind of floating around the edges of that culture, it's still super strange to me. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't even, if I shot a deer, dude, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I'm not a hunter. Yeah. Right. I probably, I probably fuck all the meat up. Yeah, you know what I mean? And like, or carry it. Like, what organ is this? Like, this is a mess. Like, how much time do I have to, like, actually field dress this before flies get to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that, that really is where, like, the balance, God, we're getting so dystopian. But that's where almost, like, someone like Orwell would go, hey, man, that's when society got you, when you can no longer be self-sustaining or independent because now you need the provision. You need the infrastructure of roads in order to get you fed. You need the infrastructure of a grocery store and cooling systems and electricity 
to make sure you survive. You cannot do that on your own. And once you've lost that knowledge, like if all that knowledge was in nowhere else but technology in Google or whatever, you're fucked. Because now you need Google. You're Google dependent. Yeah. I think that was a lot of my hesitation too around COVID and stuff like that. Like all of a sudden, like I'm going to give up my personal autonomy and health to like an institution that like at least in the moment, I think probably like, I don't think though the, I'm like, like an anti-vaxxer or something like that, but it's like weird. Like if you give up your right to make your own health decisions and then other people make your health decisions long enough yeah. and then you're dependent on that person. It's like the drug dealer, man, like first time's free, bro. And then pretty soon they like can get you to do whatever they want you to do. Cause like, you know, you're hooked on it or whatever. So like, yeah. And it's, it's the same way with, you know, food or anything else, I suppose. The long story short, an aquaponics system would be really cool. It'd be really cool. To bring cool, it back man. to aquaponics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, have you priced it yeah. out? Like, how serious have you gotten about it? Well, I've also, like, I've so I'm like, I've been reading about um, greenhouses and a lot of it from like, you have to actually keep it like temperature controlled because, like, if you like put tilapia fish in the barrel, you know, they bring, breathe out ammonia and nitrate. I, I think so. Wait, nitrate. I don't know. I don't remember, but like all the bacteria, it gets the pump goes up into the, into the plants, the plants eat all the, the bad stuff. That's like, you know, comes out of the fish. They eat it all. All the water gets purified. It goes back in the tank. The fish have, you know, a clean tank. So it's like a self-cleaning system and the plants are getting all the nutrition that they need and the fish are getting all the nutrition they need. And so they like, they grow super fast, like four times faster than regular garden. You can plant things closer to each other, but the downside is that it's like a little temperamental. So you have to have like, and you can't just grow it like outside during like four months of a season, five months of a season that like we have out here. Like you actually need to have the system running for a prolonged period of time for it to build up all the nutritional qualities that are conducive for both the fish and the plants. So like, I would have to have it in a climate controlled greenhouse. But the problem is, is it caught, it takes a ton of energy to heat it. So I'm like still like crunching the numbers, but I'm also looking at like other like ways that I could like maybe use green energy, like solar panels. I have a Creek in my backyard. And so I've been looking at like little water turbines that I could like put in the Creek, you know, and I could get like wattage out of it and like different designs. There's like open source stuff that you could like, create with like pvc pipes and stuff but like some of them are loud some of them are not i have neighbors you know like i I still have to like figure the ins and outs but like it seems like i could probably do it without it costing an arm and a leg for like organic romaine or whatever you know so dude are you geeky enough that you could open source how to take creek water and an open source turbine and make that happen like you're that confident no, I'm not. But <laughs> I, you know, the CTE brain is not too confident. What? It, but what I am is like super patient. Like uh, that's a good I'm the type of dude that can watch a blade of grass grow. Gosh. Where I'm like, if I don't get it the first time, I'll sit knee deep in the creek till I figure it out. Gosh. Type thing. So I'm just a persistent personality, and obviously, like with the internet, man, all you got to do is get on a Reddit forum and be like water turbines 
green energy, yeah. going to the forum. Hey, I got a problem. Take a picture of it. Like, I don't know what to do. You and, know, yeah, so you get like 38 different suggestions. That is again, like that's the amazing part of the internet. It's almost like Reddit's almost like a knowledge blockchain, right? Where it's like almost decentralized. I know it's on Reddit, so it's centralized, but like you get all these different sources and you get to figure out what's true. Cause if someone comes with the bullshit, other people tend to like attack it <laughs> and be like, no, that's wrong. Cause of blank. Yeah, exactly. There's everybody brings a little piece of knowledge to the table that can be like, you know, constructed into like a greater, yeah. a greater mind. Yeah. Decentralizing is the way to go, man. Is it? You think so? Yeah, I mean, unless it gets somehow re-centralized at some point, which wouldn't be, like, too far off the map. I mean, as long as there is, like, if there's any opportunity that people can see to consolidate power and wield it, they'll take that opportunity. So, you know, obviously, like, you, I've, I don't know a ton about Bitcoin and stuff like that, but, like, that stuff is really cool. Like, you can just, like, overnight, like, just be like, oh, yeah, central banking system's done. Like that's wild. That's wild to me that it's even really remotely like a possibility, but like, you know, how long will it take until technology kept, you know, and you know, somebody that's like power hungry psycho can somehow consolidate, you know, Bitcoin. I don't know if that's like actually like a possibility. There's probably tons of geeks out there. They're like pulling their hair out, but yeah, well, that's my thing, man. Like the FDIC makes me feel so good about myself. And like Bitcoin, <laughs> like I lose a fucking USB cord. There was a dude in um London. It was two years ago. Did you hear about this story? He had like $400 million worth of Bitcoin. He got in real early, had a USB drive, moved. He lost the USB drive. So it got trashed. He found the landfill that he believes the USB drive to be in. He's willing to split the Bitcoin with the town for him to excavate this whole fucking landfill. And they were like, nah, not worth it for us. And 400 million gone. Cause the dude couldn't keep a hold of a USB port. I'm like, yo dude, I'm I like that shit. Don't happen at a bank. I could lose my fucking debit card. And you know what I do? I go to the bank. Just like I was talking about with the wallet. And like, I can figure out a way to prove on me, but the Bitcoin is like, pirate's gold man if it's gone it's gone and it seems like somebody would be able to figure out how to make it gone and then who do you go to where's my receipt how do i prove this is my asset there's no bill of ownership that really fucks yeah, it, with me man it's like there's there's still people dude like hunting for confederate gold in the south <laughs> that was like lost like at what point do you stop looking for your 400 million dollars <laughs> Like, that's you funny. know what I mean? That, like, dude, that's funny that you took the story that way. And I took it a completely different way. <laughs> well, no, it's like, well, and I was thinking, like, I actually know somebody who has kind of gotten, gone a little crazy because I had this really good buddy who um, was a total tech nerd. And uh, he really early on in like, I want to say like 2010, 11 or 12, somewhere in the early, in the early tens was trying, he was trying to explain to me what Bitcoin was. He's like, no, do you understand? It's a decentralized currency that's on a blockchain. And there's like, and he was like trying to under, like, 
That's Tell as me deep as I go. Shit. Like, how many people can actually get past those words? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Fuck what percent of the population? Like, that's as far as I can go. Yeah, dude, it's decentralized. It's on a blockchain technology. It's a cryptocurrency. Yeah. And then I'm done. And like, I got nothing else to add to a conversation. Well, and that's like, and then someone's trying to explain that to me in 10 years, 10 years ago with that. They're trying to explain something that I can't even explain now, 10 years ago <laughs> to the 22 year old version of me. Yeah. Where I'm like, dude, are we going to have an animal beer and hang out or what? And yeah. he's like, you don't understand, dude. I'm mining Bitcoin. I'm going to be rich, dude. Like Dallas, all like, I need is $800 from you, man. In 10 years, you're going to be a billionaire. <laughs> no, and he was like, like he was already like, I vaguely remember him just freaking out about the importance of video card processors. Uh, and, and he was like, dude, I need more energy in my house. Right. Like I'm spending, like he was like having energy problems and using video cards, which I know are like a scarcity now because people are mining so much Bitcoin. They're like super hard. The video processors, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if that's what they're called, but whatever they need to be able to mine Bitcoin, a graphics card or whatever, you know, he was like really into collecting them and trying to get all like the high end processors and stuff like that. And he was mining Bitcoin and he was doing it early on. And like, from what I remember, he was like mining a lot of Bitcoin, but he passed away. And his roommate was his cousin. And this dude that I know has slowly lost his mind <laughs> with those computers. Well, and he keeps them, he still has them. They're like, they're probably like unsupported pieces of technology now. Like, I don't even know if you can turn them on, but like he spent, he, I don't know how many hours trying to get onto those, get the passwords, get into the accounts and try to figure everything out. Cause there's this vague, unbelievable amount of Bitcoin just somewhere floating in the ether. Yeah. Right. So that he left behind. That that's the other thing I don't get. Like, uh, uh, not not so much the cousin, but like, why do you mine it? Do you benefit from mining it? Do you get some sort of percentage for holding part of the blockchain? Are you an owner like that? Do you know? I don't. I, I don't know. Like like what the process of mining is, but I know that that there's like a finite amount. Of them. So like that's why that they hold value is because there's just not that many and you can't just like print more. No, yeah. Like but, you can't just like. But if you're mining it, so if you're holding the servers that hold the matrix number that makes your Bitcoin, right? So if you have a Bitcoin, the whole point of it being decentralized is that information is like everywhere, right? So if you try to lie, yeah. someone can call you on it. But mm -hmm. you mining it, does that mean... If I mine Bitcoin, I have information about your Bitcoin on my server. Do I get some sort of like percentage for being the guy that has servers that has helped to decentralize? That's where I get lost. Well, I, or do I have I, to I own Bitcoin in order to mine? I suppose, I suppose like what you're doing is that you're like, you know, that you're you're discovering money. I suppose you're not creating it, but essentially you're mining it. That's what, that's what I'm assuming. I don't know what I'm talking about, oh. but I would imagine that it's like that you're that, that the profit is, is just like pulling the gold out of the ground. You know what I mean? Like so you find a Bitcoin. 
Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like I have no idea. But if they're finite, like, I think... like how are you finding them? That's what's always fucked with me because I've heard about like in Africa or these little towns, they're sucking up all this power because people are mining Bitcoin and they're having all these servers, and that's a huge deal. And it's like, well, if it's finite, shouldn't the energy needed to sustain it be finite as well? Or I can just hop on and decide that I want to be part of this decentralized platform that allows me to have access to this thing where I don't own it, but I have access to seeing it. But now if I have access to see it, can I fucking manipulate it if I'm smart enough and like change some code or some shit? It just seems, it. I, every, I can't logically lay wizard, it out. Every tech wizard I've ever like brought that up to is like, you don't understand. You can't just like, repro- there's no way around it. Like. You can't just game the system. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, but then it's like and there's like like servers all around the world that are running checks and balances all the time, and that like if you run a server or you have a server that you can run checks on everybody else. But what's the benefit of running checks on everybody else? Is it just a power trip? Is it like a social cred thing to be like you're at the bar at twelve and you're like, hey girl, you know it'd be really fun right now, Friday night, (laughs) blitzed. Go check out my Bitcoin server. <laughs> like, yeah, right. is, is that what happens? It like That's makes, how you get them, dude. It makes me feel old, but it's like, why do people continue to add to this system if there's no actual benefit other than maybe I just don't get it and there is a real social cred to like it's almost like Napster. Like, do you make money off of Napster initially if you're just helping people to like share files where there's no cost? It's just I don't, a cool I've, I've, thread of I've heard being people like, make I've heard people make the case that you can, like it would end corruption. That like there's no like back alley corruption payments because everything could be tracked. Right? Like that it would be really hard to swindle people. So that's one benefit that I've heard of it, but I don't even know how that would work. I mean, man, way over my head, past yeah. my pay grade past everyone past my pay grade as well but like that it's something that i've not i don't know man i need to talk to somebody who's actually like in the field to figure that out because i can't understand why people would join a server jack up their electric bill and then the only hope is this like intrinsic i'm making the world better value like this is just cool and I don't want to like reap any sort of monetary capitalistic reward. I just want to make the world utopian. I don't know, man. I don't know if mm-hmm. I buy that shit. I just, maybe I'm just too scarred. No, no. The skepticism around a, a utopian narrative is like well warranted, especially after the 20th century. Anytime that someone says utopia or that like somehow we're going to like, use technology or we're going to like re-engineer like through like utilitary you like uh utilitarianism like to get this inevitable outcome that's like not congruent with human nature is like just way too good and it usually gets a lot of people killed yeah because humans been around for a long fucking time and if we knew the formula or the algorithm for utopia we probably would have done it by now. <laughs> like maybe it's in yeah. nature just to like what you were saying earlier, dude, like build shit. And then for some reason, break it down just to build it better. 
like build it back for whatever our better is. That seems to be what people do. Yeah, it's the Dostoevsky actually talked about that. He said that even if people had all the means and to live in luxury and do nothing but like eat cakes and lounge around and just concern themselves with like procreating essentially that they would actually do something to overtly fuck it up because that's in our nature. And then he goes even a step farther. He's like, not only would you do something that would sabotage that effort, that's something that's innate in the human spirit that you think you might want to get, get, get away from, but maybe not. Maybe that's just as important as the building itself. And so that it's actually serving some sort of evolutionary function over a longer period of time. That's not so apparent, you know, and obviously that's such a nice, that's, that's such a funny way of looking at it because like when you're thinking about things in some sort of like academic sense where you're like, Oh, well, sometimes you just need to like tear things down and that that's human nature and that you'd like, that needs to be a part of us. But like the reality of what thing, what happens when things tear down and like people die and they suffer and like, it's like super tragic. Then you're also kind of like, yeah, well maybe, maybe it shouldn't be like that. You know what I mean? You know, maybe we could get beyond that, but I don't, I don't think necessarily that we will. I think that's just like part of who we are. And it seems like to be a part of the world, man, like even forest, like forest fires are great things like controlled burns are needed, right? Like that's something Mm -hmm. you do in society or in, in worlds to help other things grow. And what if it's just humans need to destroy humans to help humans grow? (laughs) Like as weird as that sounds like you are an organism, Right. So if you go with the whole, hey, man, you're con- you're connected. All things are connected. Molecules, atoms, everything is connected. Like maybe that's just another universal law. Yeah. You know, it's well, like and you like see those archetypes throughout like history and stories and stuff like that. Like like the Phoenix, man, like the Phoenix has to cry. It has to crash in order to rise again. Right. You know, like, um. And you like, (laughs) like, there's like, there's like, there's a story about this, this student and he is going to study the Bhagavad Gita and he's like with this master and he's watching all the the students pray with the Bhagavad Gita and they're like holding it over their heart. And, um, he asked the master, he's like, why do we like take this book and we like pray over our heart? And he goes, because when your heart breaks, all the beauty can fall in. You know, so like sometimes like, you know, we need to like allow our hearts to shatter or destroy things like consciously or subconsciously for whatever reason in order to like reconstitute or reestablish something that's greater. Yeah, there's the cyclical nature of life. Suffering artist, right? The balance. You can't have nothing but prosperity. It'll make the world fall off of its axis type shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Comfort kills, man. Comfort kills. That's a, that's a really good saying. Is that part of your fashion line? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's probably already a part of your fashion line somewhere. Your athleisure line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some guy in like the 13th century that said it in like Spain somewhere, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It was way more romantic because it sounds better in Latin. Yeah. 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 
most things that you think of somebody already has. That's true. That's always a trippy thing too, man. Like the, when you um, think you're like being clever or original and then whatever, like however long later, it's like, oh fuck, dude. I saw that like in a movie or, oh shit, that was a pop culture reference from when I was four or, oh my God, that was a saying my grandmother had and I didn't know. Like that's, it's pretty limited um, scope yeah. of like unique shit. It really is. Just like how styles even come back. Like now I'm 40 and I'm old enough to be like, y'all motherfuckers are rock. Are, are Crocs a big deal out there on the West Coast right now? Uh, like if you're like wearing them just just to be ironic, yeah. Okay, like dude, they're fucking hot over here. Like you, like if you're a kid, you you're rocking Crocs to be cool. You're kidding me? No, right? So like they were big when I was maybe like my my early twenties, mid twenties, maybe. Yeah. And I remember like yeah. I was a teacher, and um, I would rock Crocs with a suit on purpose just to be that guy that's like super formal in a suit with fucking Crocs on and like to show off my socks. And I'd be like, I rock Crocs and socks and a white bandana. And like, I would just <laughs> say stupid shit like that. Cause I was like making fun of Crocs. And now like, that's what you fucking wear as a kid. Like it's like Uggs, Uggs blew up. And you're like, why the fuck are you wearing Uggs? They're like Jordans, dude. Kids wear Crocs like Jordans around here. And I'm like, they wait. They wear them like Jordans, dude. Like it, it. It's that kind of social cred. So you're like, oh, I got the Rainbow Edition number dude, two Crocs. Camo Crocs. It, it's the little. It's the little fucking. Um, they're they're not pins, but they're pins that you put in them for like your identity. Oh, it's it's odd, man, because it's like that's so fucking dorky. But anyway, that was twenty years ago. So a whole generation is coming up and these 12, 13, 14 year old kids are rocking Crocs and they put them on sports mode, which means you put like the handle on the back so you can run with them and they don't slip off your feet. Oh like, my God. This is a whole fucking thing. That is kind of funny though. Yeah. Right. Like, dude, it, it's like, like it, hold on. Let me get into sports mode. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh shit. You think you're faster. All right. Be like, I would pump up my Reeboks. <laughs> And it's like, yo, I'm gonna go sport mode. Let's go, right? Oh my god, that's so funny. But like, man, it just shows you how lost I am. Yeah, no, dude, it just shows how like <laughs> shit slick cyclical, and you're not on that side of the wave. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, you're on the ten sure. year gap. Like I'm on the forty, and now twenty years, thirty years later, the ten and fourteen year olds are rocking Crocs, where you've already gone through that wave. So like, whatever was your jam is going to come back. And like, that's the cyclical. It seems like that's the cyclical nature where people think you're being creative. It's like, motherfucker, I was rocking Crocs before you were born. The funny thing is, is that it's like, it's like a throwback joke. Like they all know that Croc, do they all, is it like, are they kind of like, yeah, this is cool. And I get social credit, but it originally came from the fact that Crocs are ridiculous. No, no, I, dude, I don't think so. I think they're you know just what like, I mean? like, I, dude, the kids that I talk to, they're just like, yeah, they're comfy, and I like that I can put fucking stickers in them that show my identity. They, you can personalize your Crocs, which is the cool thing, because like two years ago, it was all about can you draw on your Air Force Ones. So can you paint them? Can you get sharpies? Did that hit over there? Maybe we're just real dorky in Southern Delaware, but like you would get white Air Force <laughs> Ones, and like you would. 
draw on them. You would paint them. So you would do whatever symbols, however you wanted to customize your Air Force Ones so that you could take something but make it your own, make it your unique right. style. Crocs make it easy because you push a fucking pin into all the holes and you can put your name in there. You can put status symbols of what you're good at, what you want to be, what your orientations are towards whatever. And like kids are- Those are your badges. Yeah, dude. It, it's your fucking badges. It's your Boy Scout badges. Like you make fun of the Boy oh, Scouts man. for being being a weeblow and having 38 badges, but like that's what you're doing with your Crocs, man. Great. You're great at a sport. Okay, that's your fucking Boy Scout badge. Like, you want to make fun of someone who can start a campfire? That's his badge. Like, there's like a part of me, like, like, like the mullet, man. Yes. The mullet came back. Yes. Right. Okay. Mustaches, like, man. Mustaches. But like, I felt like when people first started bringing the mullet back, they were wearing the mullet because it was funnier than hell. Yes. Right. Like, oh my God, does that guy have a mullet? We, we call them Kentucky waterfalls here. <laughs> so like, it's like, does that guy have a Kentucky waterfall? And it was like, that person was like, happened to also be like, maybe the, a charismatic person or something. So people be. took it. You so people kind of took it as, oh yeah, this is this idiosyncratic thing that this yeah. person is like harping on that. They're like, kind of like a half Andy Kaufman. Like yes. you don't know if they're joking or not. Yep, yep. And then like, and then it became mainstream to the point where people are just rock mullets. Yeah. And even though it just kind of like started on the heels of a joke. And I'm like, I wonder if that's where like the croc was like, what if we brought crocs back? Like Jinko jeans. Dude, could you imagine? You remember Jinkos? Fuck yeah, I remember Jenkos. So it's like, if someone was like, I'm going to wear Jinkos because it's like fucking hysterical that I'm wearing Jinkos. But then it only takes one popular person to only make it like a half joke until it turns into a trend. Well, because it's the zag, right? Like the zag, you get in front of it and that's a populist thing, man. That's that social cred that so many people crave. Yeah, and it's like unique and quirky and off the wall. And people are like, oh, well, I want to be unique and quirky and off the wall. I'll get mine, but I'll put my stickers on it or, you know, exactly. whatever. Or only put my stickers on like, the left foot. <laughs> We had like jean jackets, you know what I mean? Like you put your like Sabbath patch on there or whatever. You get your grandma to sew it on there. Someone would teach you how to do it or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like you have your patches and your pins and shit. And it's like, oh, I like Motorhead and, right. you know, blah, 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 or whatever. Here's like an anarchy patch. I'm an anarchist or whatever, you know? Yeah. Dude, it was this, I mean, like it, it, like you look for those badges of identity. I love how you had said badges, but like, yeah, that's maybe that's part of the revitalization or maybe like, again, it's just a fucking cycle, but it's, it's trippy. You bring up Jenko. Cause that was the thing that I'm waiting on. Cause I can't take the fucking skinny jeans, skinny pant thing. Um, I'm waiting for the baggy to come back. Like it's, it's got, it's been be. riding dude. Has it? The skinny, the skinny jeans have been riding for a while, man. They really have. Like, cause that was like emo thing. Whereas like you put your girlfriend's jeans on <laughs> and like, that was like, no, like I literally remember that. Like I remember being a kid and being like, oh yeah. Like Stacy's probably your size or whatever, you know, like yeah. those guys are like try squeezing into their girlfriend's jeans or whatever. And like doing the hair with thing. Yeah. And then it became like, 
like I maybe it was even a joke then. I don't even remember. Like it was kind of funny. Like we always like amused each other, like people that I knew that did it, you know. It was kind of like a joke. But it became like fashion where they like started just tailoring jeans to be more fitted. Yeah. You know? Whereas like, oh, there's a market in this, you know? Yeah. No. But yeah, like that seems like that's where the skinny jeans came from. I fucking hate them, man. As a just a middle aged dude, <laughs> I just I just straight want like I, I don't know, man. I, I I don't want people to see my socks. I want I want my jeans and my pants to cover up my shoe. It's just the way I was raised. It's the way I'm born. I'm not trying to fucking. I don't know. It's my old man. It's my old man lawn. You know, like I like my temperature in my house a certain way. I like my clothes to fit a certain way. That's all it is. Yeah, that and like as as soon as it's. Especially as you get older, you're like so concerned with like providing for your like family and your kids and like taking care of your house and stuff. Like you get so caught up in the utility of stuff rather than like the actual like appearance of it that like 10 years goes by and you don't even know what the fuck people are doing. Yeah. You're just like, I'm worried about paying the bills, man. No doubt. Saving up money for some shit. Trying to mine. I'm I'm worried about sitting on my recliner drinking and sobbing my regret for not mining Bitcoin. That's what I'm about. It's just regret ah, towards not mining Bitcoin. Oh man, speaking of, I heard this thing on NPR where this guy was the first guy to make a Bitcoin transaction bought Domino's pizza. <laughs> and like it was like, you know, like this weird thing. Like, I think he was like on a forum, like, I can't believe I got a pizza with this. That's ridiculous. Look at these dominoes are a bunch of chumps. Like oh, this, like, shit. yeah, like this novelty thing will like, you know, 15 years goes by. And it was like, that guy would have had like $23 billion. Like that was like the most, and it's like in the world record for the most expensive pizza or whatever, <laughs> you know? And like they had it, they actually had this guy on NPR and they had the balls, dude. They had the audacity to act to ask him. So like, oh, you know, do you like regret buying that pizza? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> you know, you can just like hear the tragedy, the Greek tragedy on the other side. Just like, yeah, dude, I really regret it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be a billionaire. What do you want me to say? Fucking dominoes. How do you not give that guy at least a franchise? How do you not just like set him <laughs> yeah. up with a pop-up? You know, like, dude, we're going to give you a food truck at bare minimum and let you try to just go out in life and make some money. So you're going to get a pity franchise. <laughs> right? Exactly. Instead of a pity fuck, it's a pity franchise. <laughs> Here, go sing, go sing some pies for us, dude. <laughs> and... For the duration of your franchisee, we're going to give you everything on a 95% discount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh that's, my all, God. that's all. That's all we're going to do. Because thank you for funding us for the next fucking century. God. Yeah, it makes you wonder. If you're going to call Domino's, but did you guys like hold on to that? Like Seriously, where did what did they flip it where? for? Did they buy a bunch of like yeah. mozzarella? I don't know, man. Domino's are starting to look nice. They're starting to rehab them around here. Domino's look good nowadays. Yeah. I've never eaten it. I haven't eaten in years, but it's tasty, man. But yeah. Um it is it for a price point um that they deliver, it the the quality of the pizza, you're like it, it's not shit. It's better than the like K 
cafeteria pizza you remember at school. Like way better than that. And it seems cheaper. Shit. We didn't have a cafeteria when I was growing up, man. Are you? No cafeteria. Stop. Yeah. Fit. Yeah, we sit crisscross applesauce in the hallways, man. Stop, dude. Till what grade? No, I'm uh till I graduated, man. Through high school, you didn't have a cafeteria. Not one. There was this at my school was I think all four grades was like almost three thousand kids. It's like twenty eight hundred kids. And it was open campus in the middle of downtown. And so we would just like walk out and just go like and it was like our 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 school like faced the I-90, the freeway. So like you just walk under the freeway and then into like, just into like the interior of Spokane. And he was just like, come back when school, like when the bell comes rings. That is so like, so our, our high school has 1600 kids and they're popping at the seams. That's huge for us. So you had 3,000 kids in your school. Yeah, it was a jungle, man. But no fucking cafeteria? Or you had a cafeteria and nobody just used it? No, like there was like two carts that they would push to the entrance of the building that were like little indoor food carts. Dude, you're fucking telling tales, man. No, Cold St. Louis and Clark High School, man, 2009. They just, they recently actually built like within the last couple of years, a cafeteria and where like there used to be like an eco pond for like an outdoor class. It was like in the middle of the city. It was just like, it was like a really pathetic excuse for like an outdoor class, like a, like really pathetic. Like it was just this tiny little pond that they had like created in the field. Well, they like flattened it and they just put a cafeteria there, but that school didn't have a cafeteria for like over 20 years. I'm not kidding, dude. How long was lunch? Uh, Like an hour. And so, yeah, and like, you know, most of us just never came back. (laughs) Why would you? Yeah, I know. I'm like in the middle of downtown. There was a skate park like three blocks away. And, you know, it was the city, man. And it was like, like at the time, like there just recently, especially as young people have gotten older and like started their own kind of like savvy businesses and like storefronts and stuff like that. Like the culture of the city has like really started to blossom. People like are invested in art, music and like galleries and stuff like that. Like all like the like precursors to like a city, like actually getting a hold. I mean, obviously COVID kind of changed everything, but like there was like a booming nightlife and like the last couple years that we just like had never seen before but like the city of downtown was kind of like dystopian when i was a kid it was just like a lot of broken brick buildings that people were like fighting over Hmm. and like yeah there was just like wasn't a lot to it it was just like all these old buildings from the 1800s that were kind of like dilapidated and falling apart and like a couple corner store fronts and it was just like kind of like free range you know if you were like kind of a bad kid, you just skip whatever period you want and like go to one of the local parks or hang out downtown or go skate, you know? Yeah. I was high school, man. Dude, that's actually a, a decent segue. Um, Cause I just looked up and noticed um, some of us have to go change young minds tomorrow, but yeah, let's end the podcast with this. And if um, you want to focus on a high school story, that's cool. Or you can take it any direction you want. Um, you said you listened to a couple. Do you know how the podcast ended? Did you make it to the end of a couple? 
No, I didn't. Not to like the final like 20 minutes of each one. Gotcha. Yeah, I try to mind fuck people. So you're not. I, ri- I was trying to. Mach- I was trying to machine gun my way and like, okay, like, what's the podcast like? What's what, the vibe? What are the different guests like? Yeah. yeah. Was it like? I mean, like, it's it's. I don't know. Did I lie to you at the beginning, or did I like represent it pretty accurately? Would you say? No. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no. It was exactly what. It was okay. like, hey, I'm just getting to know you, man. Got you. All right, cool. Because I, I don't know, man. Again, like imposter syndrome. Not like I'm trying to save lives, but like, I never know. Like, honestly, just going through your Instagram, I thought it coffee and my Muay Thai would be like way more of a conversation, and maybe ten minutes. Right. Like it's a neat little way to get deeper into the iceberg. Like, and I didn't ask, were you okay? Was it consensual of me digging into your bottom iceberg? Were you fine with that? No, I mean, I spent so much of, I, you know, I spent, I spent so, so much of my life trying to uncover all those things and chip away. It's actually nice to have somebody to like, kind of like rebound and talk about things and be like, okay, is this fucking insane? Yeah. You know, like, oh. am I making any sense? You know, so. Dude, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, no, it's actually nice, man. Yeah, that's a good point. I like, because I, I don't know, and it, I, I didn't get to like wrap it up, but we will. Um, But that's something where I, I kind of enjoy it too. And people have found like some, um, some value in like, dude, sometimes it's just kind of neat to shoot the shit with someone that outside of my social circle to like explore, am I kind of thinking the right way? Do what does what I feel make sense as I present it to the world? Um, so it's neat to hear you say that, man, because I think that's something that I don't know. That's empowering. That's fun. All right. So Dallas, by your Christian name, let's end the podcast with this. I'm interested to see where you go with it. Um, can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Your best first for last. And then what do you what do you mean exactly by that? What do you think I mean exactly by that? <laughs> I know it's such a dick move. I try hard not to be a dick, but No, this no, it's awesome. I just got done watching Batman with the Riddler. Uh, now I feel like high pressure situation. I got to answer the question or the bomb's going to go off. I haven't seen it, No, but I, okay. So now wait, holy shit. So <laughs> I'm onto something. Okay. <laughs> so what's the best first that should be the last? Uh, fucking alcohol, man. <laughs> I mean, it was great the first time, but shit, that should have been the last. So, no, dude, I love, that's actually, I've never thought of it that way. So here's how, no, dude, I love this. Actually, let me get that story. So the way to, to preface it, best first for last, I think of it as like a best first experience for the last thing people listening get to know about you. But I'm very interested in alcohol being the f- best first that you can have that should be the last you have. So can you share like the realization story or share thoughts or whatever you want to share, man? Like, let's get into that a little bit because I think that's, um, I don't know, as I said, as I sit here and drink some wine, like 
that's something that's like right there, man. Like it's, it can be fucking dangerous. I get worried about myself. I have an alcoholic mother, man, where like I saw what that shit did to her over COVID and she fucking bottomed out on alcohol over COVID, man. And it fucking scared. Like you stop eating, you lost, like you whittled down to 90 pounds. You couldn't fucking function. Your hands were shaking so bad. You couldn't light your own cigarettes that you're addicted to. Like it's scary, man. And I battle with the whole, like, am I genetically disposed to want alcohol? Do I just enjoy it? And it's like a relaxing thing. So wherever you want to take it, why that came up in your mind, man, I'm a, I'm super curious. Cause I, I can relate. Well, you know, it's kind of like the idea of, you know, like chasing the dragon or whatever. It's just like the first time that you have it, it's like, Oh man, this is amazing, but it should be your last. I mean, especially as for, for some people, I mean, if you're have the ability to have a glass of wine and call a podcast at eight o'clock, then you're probably doing okay. Like you're not waking up two days later in Vegas like in someone's like apartment, like trying to score a bag or something, you know what I mean? You're like, it's not, it's not, it's not the same for everybody, I guess. Um, and obviously not everybody even is that extreme, but like, I guess, I guess at the root of all of that, I suppose is I'm, I think I kind of said something even prior that was similar to this, but like anytime you're looking outside of yourself to placate an internal problem, then you're fucking up. Yeah. And like alcohol is just one way to do that. I mean, you can do that with anything. You can do it with Oreos. You can do it with gambling. You can do it with sex. You can do it with money. You know? Yeah. yeah. There's so many traps. And as, yeah, I guess that could, that answer could be different for everybody, you know? So how'd you come to the realization with alcohol? Did you have, do you mind sharing or did you have like a rock bottom moment that woke you up? Yeah, I had two. Um, the first one was when I was a kid. Where I uh, I just got to a point where my life was unmanageable. Um, and I always knew, like, dude, from the first time I drank, I was like, oh, shit. What was, was your like, – let's start there. Good. Do you remember the first drink? What was your first drink? Not to, like – and I don't no. want to, like tr- – am I going to trigger you by asking about this? Because I don't mean oh, to no. that guy. I'm not – I'm not the, I'm not the like worried about triggered type guy. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I was like, uh, I, I had drinks before, but like the first time I'd like drank to completion, uh, like I used to live next to this park, Manitou park, beautiful park, man. I mean, it's like nationally known, but it's got like kind of a dark side. Like that's where people would, young kids would go in to the park at night and like, you know, go party and stuff like that. And then obviously when there was people partying and there was drugs and there was money with the drugs, then there was violence with the money with the drugs. Uh, okay. So like, it was like this really weird thing where you're like in this paradise, like this garden of Eden, literally. But like, there was like kind of this sinister undertone at night and like, you know, people would be throwing Frisbees around during the day or whatever, but they were dealing drugs on the side, you know? So okay. it kind of became like this, this place to go to like, you know, and I didn't, I didn't live far. So it wasn't hard for me to like reach out and kind of like touch this negative group of people. But I was like 13 and we drank like natural light or something, some garbage like that. And, um, 
I remember like I was drunk and I was making everybody laugh. And I was like, not usually that guy. Uh... Like I was usually like the guy that's the outsider. And I remember thinking like, oh man, like the only way that people like me is if I'm a fool. Mm. And like that I'm going to keep doing this because it feels good and people like me now. Yeah. And I just like hadn't discovered like who I was at that time and like really like discovered my true identity as a person. So like that filled as a substitute. And I knew I was like pretty even self-aware at that, that age to know like, Oh shit, this does not end well. And so that kind of all came to a head when I was like 22 where my life just became unmanageable. Like I just couldn't do anything like I could like wake up and like function, you know what I mean? I could like go to like a dishwashing job or whatever, but that was the extent of it. And I, I think I knew that I had more oomph in me and that like my conscience just became so loud. Like what was the, you can't do this anymore. When you say I could wake up and function, like what was the drinking? And and I, I work in weird metrics. Some people tell me my mind's like almost autistic because it's like, dude, you don't have any fucking nuance. You always want like a measurement or a metric. But I, I, I think that helps for perspective, right? Because I don't know, maybe it's a clinical thing. But what were what were you like? I don't know. How much were you drinking then or how early were you drinking then? Because if I'm thinking like just you're partying and hung over at 22, that sounds like a typical, I don't know, immature college life kind of a thing. Yeah, but I didn't even have, like, the remote responsibility of, like, showing up at English class at 10 a.m. Like, <laughs> I was, like, working in kitchens with, like, former felons and stuff like that. Right. You know what I mean? Where it was just, like, really anything goes behavior. It was, like, gotcha. there was, like, no real, like, social moral fabric to what was going on around me. Gotcha. So, and even though, like, I had, like, values that instilled that were instilled with me that ran counter, and I knew that they ran counter the environment that I was in, like then it became a game of like drinking to like suppress your conscience or like knowing that you're capable of doing something or like leading like an adventurous life or doing some sort of difficult task or like climbing some sort of mountain, whether figuratively or metaphorically. Dude, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you that, off, but yeah, 22 and you're trying to suppress this like moral battle. That's yeah. that does seem so fucking deep, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to like, you know, like it. fan myself. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, I was like so like woke or whatever. As a philosopher, I mean, a you should see just, my tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just like, man, I was like, I was more more ding dong, you know, bullshit going on when I was twenty two than anything else, but. Like, it just got to a point where I was, un it was unmanageable. Like, I had pushed away, like, most of my family. Like, I would just, like, disappear for long periods of time just because I just didn't want to deal with the real world. And so I just, that came to a head, and I realized, like, really quick, especially at 22, 23, that's when you start looking around and, like, you realize, like, oh, people are, like, beginning to separate themselves. Like, people are, like going and taking different paths like you can't just be like a 16 year old dishwasher and like people are like yeah you're 16 and you're a dishwasher or whatever but it's like by the time you're 22 23 there's people around you that are graduating from college yeah 
you know, and they've already like done things and you're just kind of like standing there, like holding the bag, like, Oh, I've been fucking around and drinking yeah. this whole time. And like, I have nothing to show for it. And like, people are upset with me and for good cause. So that was like the first time around. Um, and the second one was like way gnarlier. Like that one, <laughs> like damn near took my life. And like, I already had been through it once before. So I knew what I needed to do in order to get out of it. Um, but I was just in pain. I was just, I was just the person I was in pain. And so the second time when it came around, like I had like done a shitload of drugs one night and I was laying in bed and like, my heart was just like pounding out of my chest, dude. Like I could like feel it through it. Like I even look back and think like, I wonder if I had like a minor heart attack or something. Like, and I knew like after that, like I was lucky to be alive. Like I had like reached out and touched death. Like I swear to God, dude, like I was like out of body. Like, I don't know if I was like, you know, when people say, oh, when I died, I like saw myself from like the third person or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like it was some sort of like interim to that. Like that there was like some sort of like purgatory stage before you're like, fully watching your body yeah and i remember just being like what i was like i remember like thinking like fuck and i was like writing text messages to people that i knew like hey i just want to let you know that i love you like this plane is fucking going down Wow. and yeah and then it was after that like i didn't rally my shit right away but i was like okay some needs to change with my life and it was like, you know, if I wasn't sleeping in bed for like 13 hours or whatever, you know, then it was like I was out on a tear or whatever. Oh, so you know? that was the like the man. I don't know if it's manic clinical, but like that was the balance. Either you were partying or you were just fucking numb. Yeah, there was like numb, finding the comfort and sadness or fuck it. I don't care. I just don't want to be like awake. Like yeah. just I'll just get fucking messed up. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, so yeah, like, and I, I think that that was like a massive turning point. And also like, I had done a bunch of like really difficult things with my life and I had like found out like who I was and I like had like lost it and I knew what I had lost. And I was like, oh, like I could get that back again. Like, I'm not this guy, like I'm acting this way, but I'm actually like a person of value and a person of respect. And someone who's like highly capable and someone who's at least like seemingly intelligent and like is qualified to do difficult things and wants to help the world. And it was like that utter contrast of just like not being that person, but knowing deep down that's like who I really was, you know? Um, And so it was like that contradiction that was like constantly battling me was just exhausting. It's exhausting. I'm really curious what what did you think about to make you want to survive like through that moment? Like was there some image, some person, some experience, some hope, some future aspect that you were like made you want to text people or is that just like a random ass, you know like the drunk dial where you're like fuck man, I shouldn't have messaged you. I really don't want to like oh, no. be around you. It seemed no. it seemed way more deep. So I'm curious like how did you go from so dire to like I don't want to be dire anymore. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like you caught me, you caught me in the comment section and, and invited me to come do the podcast because I'd been saying memento more, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's like, remember that you too shall die, right? And yeah. it's a calling to be like your best self today. Like you're not going to get today back. Remember, you're going to die. Like you don't have an infinite amount of time. The person that you need to become, that person's today. Like pay attention to every little individual thing, you know, tonight when you go to bed, that might be the last time. And so like, I guess like the, the reality and the very visceral reality of our mortality and how finite and fragile our lives are. Um, and like that just became very real to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'd had near death experiences prior to that, but not like that not like that um and so just knowing that like you know you could just lose it all and you got like you know people kind of just left with a lot of questions you know i've had people die and in my life and you know that's one of the things like you're like dude like i have so many questions like it, it doesn't seem like the story's over like that's just how it ends you know, and like to think that I was going to do that to other people just because me, 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 I, 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 I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm in pain. I need this. And it was just like, oh my God, how fucking sick thing is that? I mean, I'm just thinking about me the whole time. Is that part of the inner bitch that we were getting at earlier is like oh, not yeah. being so selfish and thinking about me, my comfort and let's fucking get after something and accomplish something. Yeah, definitely. I do think that that's the inner bitch. And like, that's part of the, I think to kind of talk about JD Salinger again, where it was like, I read that and I just hear the depressed me yeah. where I'm just like, Oh, me, 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 me. I, 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 like if you put a depressed person's narrative, like, like their narrative in their head on a megaphone, yeah. everyone around you would leave you. Because it's just like, dude, how selfish can you be? Like, and I mean, it's terrible that people, and I, I, I guess I could probably say this with a little bit of room to breathe because I've been a person who's, it, who's kind of suffered through it. But also like, there is a part of you that's, there, there's like a genetic component that's not your fault. And there's like these like kind of gray area and bad decisions that you make along the way that are like you're, that are your part some of its naivety and arrogance and you didn't know it at the time but now that you don't know you do are responsible and then there's the things that you willingly turned your back on and uh the things that you really willingly turn your back on you actually have to take responsibility on that side and you actually have to call out your inner bitch you have to just be like you're being a fucking bitch and that's how i got out of depression man people like want like soft comfortable lies and stuff and it's like no, you're being a piece of shit. Like, you're a bad son. <laughs> like, stop being a bad son. You know, you're a bad neighbor. Mow your fucking lawn. You know? It's like, and it's like that, sometimes that's just what you gotta do, man. That's how you gotta talk to yourself. Reality, right? So. Like, that. that's, and man, it, I don't know. We've. If, it's funny, we've talked about like life cycle and even the conversation is like you can connect it to cycling back to stuff. And when we're talking about being s sympathetic, empathetic towards people's emotions, 
like the lawn's a perfect example. Like, oh, you didn't mow your lawn because it's really hard to get gas. I understand that. Oh, it's re you didn't mow your lawn because your lawnmower got stolen. Oh, you didn't mow your lawn because you didn't sharpen your blades. Oh, you didn't. Why the fuck have you not mowed your lawn? <laughs> yeah, it's dude. week eight, bro. We've solved problems. You have the means. Yeah. And like, what is the balance? And there's something, um, there's something within people that you want to be survivors. And that again, to go cyclical, like I, it seemed like you hit that moment where you were like, fuck man, am I going to survive this? The awareness to well, be like, am I, I going to survive this brought some clarity to you. And I remember like, just to like speak, like there's tons of moments and there's tons of things that really like shift a person. It's not like usually like one yeah. moment of clarity that changes a person. So like, I remember also like I, around that same time I was watching TV and I was watching like this, uh, like point of view from this soldier that was somewhere in the middle East. And he was like fixing a really complicated part of a tank. And he was like under the tank while it was still running. And they were taking like, and he was like exposed on both sides and he's not shooting back. He's focused on the machine in front of him, trying to fix it so that everyone can keep rolling again. And they're like getting shot at. And there's like bullets like hitting around him. Like at any moment, this guy's gonna die. And this guy is completely engulfed in this task of fixing this thing. And he doesn't care what's going on around him. And I'm like, I remember looking at this dude and being like, dude, the level of stress management that this guy has, <laughs> that he's like, three or four years younger than me fixing a tank in a, in a fucking desert, right. Getting shot at by guns that are like 30 years old, you know, by people that genuinely want you dead. And I can't fix my lawnmower, the lawnmower. <laughs> that's what got me. That's the level of, that's the level of fucking manhood that I've like peaked out on. Wow. I don't want to check my, my bank account balance. Cause it like hurts my feelings. Where I was just like, oh my God, dude, I need to grow the fuck up. Like, maybe this isn't even about me. Mm. You know, maybe like my team, the people around me, like, they need me to carry the water too, you know? And so, so yeah, that was another thing where it was just like, yeah, this is what broke you. This is it. This is the end of the line. That's what took you out. That's all it took. It's and I was like, no, okay, I'm better than that. It's like one of those exercises where it's like, you want that on your tombstone? Lawnmower. Yeah. Destroyed. Your life was destroyed by a lawnmower. And when you put it in that kind of like life or death perspective, man, it's, um, you hope it's empowering, right? You hope people are resilient enough to realize like, yeah, man, I can fucking conquer a lawnmower. Um, and that was something early on that struck me was like, and it is really hard for me to empathize with, though I know it's real, is like, it's an accomplishment. Like you get satisfaction from making your bed. What the fuck? But like, that's extremely real for a lot of people where they just need those little yeah. wins and they build, they really build. And I also love um, what you had said about like just finding positive people on social media because that can make it feel like a win too. And if you get lost in like a negative in social media, like that sucks, but- find wins right in your life find oh, wins, yeah. and if you can get people in your life that help you to realize wins that's awesome 
you know yeah you know we were saying the negative thought can take you to hell if you fall it far enough yeah you know the fucking positive thought can take you straight to heaven if you fall it far enough opposites you know it's same fucking thing man you like find a positive thread in your life just yank on it with all your might man don't give up don't let it go that's yours life is short man you got to take all that you can you got to suck the marrow out of it every day every chance that you get it doesn't come back, man. This isn't a practice life. Yeah. It's um, not. What was the... Fuck, man. Where, where did I hear it? Might have been a, a, a Naval, Naval quote. Did you listen to... Uh, I call him Naval, but Naval. Have you heard about him? N-A-V-A-L? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had this quote. I think it might have been on Joe Actually, Okay, so um, Dominic. Uh, guess when I was kicking off the season. That's actually, oh shit, yeah, that's how I got up with him. So he commented, commented on a Naval quote and it was, a man has two lives and I'll fuck it up, but it was like the first one he lives and the second one when he realizes he only has one. And it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, dude, everybody goes through this mist of like, I can make mistakes. I can take a day for granted. And it's like, no, dude, you get, I have one. What's today? Monday, the 21st, right? Like I have one Monday, the 21st in 2022 and I'll never have this day again. And if I didn't get after this day, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that can elude well, and people. It's, and it's not even just like getting after it and getting your goals. It's like you have one day to be the person that you respect. Right. And if you're not the person that you respect and you die, then the only thing that really, we really have is our character. And then that just dies with you. And then it's just like, yeah, that was Dallas. He just kind of fell apart. Like we'll say some polite words just to respect the fact that, you know, death is, you know, just to respect death for itself. But like in the back of everyone's head, it's just like, man, you know, it's, it's a tragedy. It's not anything it's like you weren't even your complete form. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You weren't do. You didn't do what you were meant to do. And a lot of people are just got question marks over their heads, walking around like, what the "Fuck was that, man?" <laughs> and like, you know, you only you only have you can only really guarantee the moment, like the moment that you're in. You know. Yeah. Man, I didn't know you were gonna be. Well, first off, I didn't know you were gonna be thirty. And then second off, I didn't realize like oh. you're this sort of like deep thinker, man. Um, we didn't get super into the like, I guess, specific experiences, but I enjoy getting to know people's like thought processes and values and like what's important to them. And um, I really appreciate you, Dallas, coming on and like sharing your thoughts, man, and being vulnerable with a. Uh, like your life philosophies, right? Like what's important to you, man. Um, I think that's pretty rare for people to be that ballsy, um, this young in their lives, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. I'll, I'll try to separate that from my ego as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, I'm this deep thinker. I was featured on a podcast. Yeah. Well, you did have like several specific, I always get impressed with people who can like quote specific shit, man. Because I'm so terrible with with like referencing. So when people can like name authors and specific titles and nail quotes, um, 
that was I, a I part of me being the person I wanted to be was oh shit okay. reading all these books. I I need a new bookshelf, man. You're one of those guys, but you actually read them. You didn't just buy them. No, I read them all. There's the the Art of War and Crow Planet. I couldn't finish Crow Planet. It was fucking lame. But the Art of War, I'm still working on. So there's like, there's like maybe one or two books up there. So that's another um, Naval point is like you read a book to get what the book was meant to give you and then you just give it. You don't read a book for completion. You get what the book is giving you and then you roll on. So there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to read something that's um, classic, deep, whatever, and then being like, ah, ain't for me. The same for me. Yeah, right? Like that, that shows you've actually considered it. You know what I'm saying? Like that mm-hmm. shows you've processed it. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, I'm going to wake up and try to change some lives tomorrow. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, coming on, dude. And um, I'm excited that you get to be a part of my social media life. If you're ever in Delaware, um, we can take your uh, kid to the beach, dude. <laughs> swinging through Southern Delaware, bro. If you're all ever right. swinging through Southern Delaware on some weird-ass road trip, man, hit me up. <laughs> hey, well, if you're ever in the desert of Eastern Washington... <laughs> Dude, I'm consider so as a teacher, man, I'm really considering the do you take 70 days, rent out the Winnebago and like do that kind of trip with your kid while they still want to hang out with you? So my daughter's 12 and I'm like I maybe get a summer or two before she's serious into shit and like would that be terrible? You know, like hey man, we're just going to road trip for the summer, see what happens. Oh, will you regret it on your deathbed? I know, right? Like, how do you know? But that's... Mental more, bro. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. We'll see what happens. All right, man. All right, man. Have a good night. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to meet you, man. Nice to get to know you. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.